What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to the show. We are your hosts, Chase and Miles, and we are at the Lucky Duck. So we got a uh, we got a next guest on. His name is dun, 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 Matthew Edwards. Woo! Welcome. Hey, thanks. Hello. Welcome to the show. Good to be at the Lucky Duck. Yeah, um, yeah, we uh, flew out, flew you out here, all expenses paid, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> the premium package. Yeah, exactly, the VIP package. Um, we had jumbo shrimp and stuff. Yeah, back. Cool, we cool. In, instead of giving a, a, a well written intro like we usually do to our guests, we're kind of just gonna throw you in here, and uh, yeah, we're. Yeah. I'll give you, I'll give you all, all you good people of the internet. Uh, a little backstory. I know Matt because uh, we met. What was it like four or five years ago? Mm-hmm. Almost six. Ballpark, yeah. Yeah, and you used to live out here, and you were doing what out in Denver at the time? Finishing my master's in social work. Yeah, and working at a day treatment center for people with disabilities and autism, and then I changed jobs to go to esports. Yeah, you did esports for a while, and then I moved out to LA. Yeah, and then I never heard from you again. I dare you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. And then yeah. now you're here. Yeah. Yep. So um, that's that's so yeah. Let's get into that a little bit. You um, so you were helping kids and minors who had autism, disabilities, etc. And you were what behavioral coaching almost. Yeah. So <clears throat> um, working at a day treatment center in school for people with developmental disabilities, but primarily autism. Um, And the age group I worked with mostly was young adults. So teenagers, children, but also young adults. Kind of transitioning for life skills, job skills, independent living skills, things like that. This is during the week you are doing this? His day job. So these kids didn't go to a normal public or private. Well, I guess it's kind of a private school. Yeah, so they were dropped off with us, you know, normal school hours, like, eight-ish to four-ish okay gotcha. yeah and what what's what's different between what you're doing and what so it's a you said it's a, a what kind of treatment center day treatment so day the, treatment. the patients and clients are brought in during the day they don't stay overnight mm-hmm. things like that um and sounds like a spa <laughs> yeah day treatment center yeah yeah is it like that <laughs> there's yeah. some similarities yeah. <laughs> massages and yes <laughs> And so, I mean, we, we know kids with autism and stuff, they have some issues, but what, yeah. are you, what exactly are you trying to treat? Yeah, basically behaviors that wouldn't be allowed in society at its most basic level. So behaviors that you'd get in trouble for as a citizen within this country, um, either because um, they can't happen during classrooms, they're disruptive during classrooms, or um, in relation to police or other main, you know, societal functions like that. So basically working on those behaviors that are going to get these people into trouble through the law eventually. Yeah. Um, but also trying to help, um, increase autonomy, increase independence, um, maybe increase contributions to their family systems at home, Mm. you know, even learning to help do the dishes to help make life easier for mom and dad who you're staying with is a big deal for some families. So, um, yeah, but then also we even worked on like getting and maintaining jobs. 
Yeah. You know, for, I think it, for us, it was mostly stocking. It's like stocking shelves and kind of like organizing and categorizing things. Yeah. Which is kind of one of the more common strengths that our demographic had, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Um, what so, was the age range of these guys? Mine were back, back then were 17 to 22, which I really like that age range. Okay. That like yeah. young adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And were most of them, most of the people coming in, was it that they've had an issue before in, in class or with the law or maybe they're just their parents are having issues at home? Yeah. Usually it's like, yeah, usually it's like, um, they've been, they've been in their schools, but there, there's significant challenges or disruption in their schools to where their schools don't really feel like they can continue that. It's maybe, you know, it's the classic situation of one, one student in a classroom of 20 or 30 is requiring so much resources from the school or the teacher that it's kind of like not good for the the overall group so to speak in terms of like are we getting to our concepts on time are we hitting our curriculum on time also but also even things like is our classroom a safe place <laughs> are the other students yeah. and peers like comfortable mm. you know so um yeah did you ever mm. have any safety concerns for me myself yeah no fortunately because i'm really lucky that i'm a large sports playing male (laughs) and i'm really sturdy and i don't really have like any health complications Uh so i'm just kind of like you know i'm like a body that can be thrown into more dangerous situations and things like that and right and fortunately i don't really feel concerned for my own safety you know compared to playing collegiate level sports yeah you play you know you played rug- rugby right and yeah. water polo oh, really yeah rugby and water polo and things so yeah you put me up with a 15 year old that has a certain behavior that they're used to when they do the behavior you know it, it serves a certain type of function to kind of get mm-hmm. them what they want um i'm not usually worried about what that behavior have you ever like. have you ever come up against uh one of your uh candidates and they were like super strong like like gorilla strong and you're like damn dude like holy shit i do have uh, there is one that surprise you you surprised me <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> come up and like yeah well i think of two i think of two um clients one who was just a larger person yeah right and his thing was kind of like a rhino charge oh kind of when he was you know in kind of fight or flight mode when it was like mm. it's time to put up i really want to get my way yeah i don't feel comfortable or safe in this situation whatever it would be whatever random charge you yeah it's a good move <laughs> yeah you're a superhero yeah yeah <laughs> um so you had to be wary of the charge distance and the yes. momentum gained mm-hmm. versus how long how far has the person so moved like huh, wouldn't that be awesome if he actually <laughs> thought of that thing that those like, he's like he stepped back and he's like all right let's do this <laughs> we do let's charge you do. <laughs> <laughs> we think of those variables or you do but maybe yeah. not him yeah. yeah yeah um but there are also there have been cases when i'm working with younger smaller patients and clients that will show strength that I totally don't expect. Yeah. And I totally don't anticipate. And I think a lot of my understanding of that has been, um, a lack of regard for the other human mm-hmm. in that example mm. on the, on the behalf of those people where it's like, I'm almost fighting. It almost feels for me, um, like I'm fighting for my life. So I don't care about your well-being in this case. Yeah. I'm going to come out maximum power, maximum effort compared to like you or me mm-hmm. where we might kind of moderate our intensity a little bit more. Yeah. More self-aware, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
That's that's interesting. Do you do you find that some some of the people you work with have like really gifted skills like artistically? Yeah, maybe things like memory recall in some really? ways. Yeah. Yeah, or um Yeah, memory recall I would say would be the most common one. Mm. Um which has even been popularized in some media like Rain Man. Mhm. Right? Mm-hmm. Kind of the obsessive compulsive looking up and researching I th- what was he? Did you guys see that movie, Rain Man? Yeah, yeah. It's been a while, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, he would. Was he would look the up the rates of crashes, or oh, uh, was it? Yeah, okay. he would look up like crash rates and statistics for flying. Oh shit! And he would memorize and know all of them <laughs> from years and years and years and years and years. Yeah. But how he would spend his time is looking up those things, and then he'd be able to just regurgitate it off the top. And yeah. if you had no idea how he spends his time, you'd be like, "How do you have that ability?" Mm-hmm. But yeah. when you realize, oh, this person spends a really significant portion of their life going over these things that's so interesting it starts to click some people are gifted with like photographic memory and i don't get it it it, it's the most amazing thing like i had a coworker, and his wife he said she had the most amazing memory he said she would remember the phone number of a pizza place from 15 years ago on a road trip they would like stop in the middle of this like random town for the night on in the middle of a road trip and they would just like like, oh, what do you want to eat? Oh, let's just get some pizza. So they called this pizza place. She would remember that phone number of that pizza place like 15 years ago. That's wow. crazy. Like she could recall that number. Yeah. Um, or like knowing the so many digits of pi or something. Yeah. It's wild. It's it's incredible, the the, the strengths of the human mind. Yeah. In some, in some I th- very I think degrees. some people can learn that, right? Like there's memory? probably people who are gifted at it, but yeah, learn how to better memorize things. Don't you do yeah. that? Don't you do that when you like go through grade school? Like that whole time you're in grade school, most of it's just memorizing stuff. Yeah. A lot of it. But yeah. if you don't, if you're not training your brain to better memorize it. The recall. Yeah. You do a pretty good job at that. I'm okay. I wouldn't say I'm better than the average citizen in the U.S. But you have you you've displayed to me like systems of remembering things. Yeah. So yeah. there are strategies you can use, and that's kind of like what you were mentioning. Like, for example, you could you could research something called a peg system to strengthen your memory in a certain way, where you kind of like create little devices and tricks to remember things more better. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so what made you want to get into this field, like of um, helping kids with autism. I think, and I think part of it also is that my major in undergrad was psychology. Um, and I think where those two things came from in my more formative years when I was younger is I was always interested in guess, seeing if I could guess the way people would be or the way people would act. I guess even just in friends groups, you know, you go through middle school and high school and things like that. And you start to wonder if you can anticipate your friends that are around you, right? What mm-hmm. will he do in this situation? What will he say? And then it, that kind of began, that turned into a fascination with why do humans do the things that humans do? Mm-hmm. And then I went to college and I learned about behavioral psychology. And then it equipped me with kind of all of the behavior science knowledge of like predicting behavior, understanding how, you know, behavior increases or decreases over time and what things, you know, how consequences influence behaviors and things like that. Um, so, yeah, a fascination with predicting behavior honestly okay Hmm. and then i went to college and i got tools for it and then (laughs) things like that yeah started working in it yeah that's pretty fascinating kind of a selfless uh profession 
Maybe. Unless you enjoy it. Uh, I yeah. I mean, yeah. You can still enjoy selfless professions and and not and still be selfless. Yeah. I, I would say I notice I work with a lot of selfless people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like I'm secretly not, but the people I'm around, <laughs> they are. I don't know. I, I don't get them. It seems like I'm a little less selfless than a lot of my coworkers and peers, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but which is okay. But I, I do think I've worked alongside a lot of warriors and really good, empathetic, sympathetic people. Yeah, people who will, you know, make their lives worse to try to make other people's lives better. Mm. Are there a, a lot of young, younger people? Like yourself in this in this career, do you is there a varying degree of different ages? Yeah, I would say. Um, to be honest, I don't know that well, but yeah. I would say the general demographic is between twenty and thirty, and more female than male. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between? So you got your master's degree, yeah, and um, that I'm, I'm I'm sure that helped. Uh, be more knowledgeable about what you do, the tool sets that you use and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, wh- is that, is that something you'd recommend for somebody who wanting to get into this type of career is like get your master's degree and, and do what you do? Or are you like, maybe you could do it without the master's degree and kind of learn on the job or learn from your peers? I think it's more the latter. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, you know, if I had to give it advice to someone who's going to go through a similar path, I would say you could probably go more the latter. You don't need like a master's degree in social work. I mm-hmm. got that more for me because I was interested also in the time of counseling, therapy, mental health. Mm. Um, what does a master's in social work entail? What are you, what are you studying? Or yeah. Um, how to make life easier and better for people. That's almost it at its most like philosophical core. Mm-hmm. So whether you do work that's more clinical like counseling, therapy, or you work with nonprofits to help give people more resources or to help change laws to help, you know, accommodate more people, um, things like that. So, but there's degrees in behavior science now. So if you're Mm going to go, if you're going to work with people with developmental disabilities, and if you want to do behavior science, you totally don't need to go spend four years and the loans required to get your master's in social work. Yeah. Um, you can totally just go, into behavior science fields and you can be way more fast-tracked did they the, offer that when you were getting yours done yes but i wasn't really interested in my early 20s hmm. to be honest I, back then i would say i should say i was more interested in counseling therapy dialoguing mm-hmm. and what's cool is now i've like walked away from that where now i'm working in behavior science fields but i feel like i have some good dialoguing skills to help bond with parents hmm. and or to help even articulate with that's why I kind of like older kids um, and kids that I can be like wittier with because mm-hmm. I can kind of use more of my like dialoguing skills that I learned when I was getting my master's degree. I'm sure sense. you can relate to them better. Probably like, like you're right. So right now you're, um, you're working with younger kids than yeah. you were before. Yep. And mm-hmm. you prefer older kids is why, why is that? Well, I like, I like the idea that even if you have someone that maybe their future, just being realistic and being honest, and these are important conversations to have with families, with Mm -hmm. someone who has a developmental disability, what's the future going to look like? What is going to be like a great life for this person as they get older? Um, What's a life that's going to be even a little better than it is now? Um, 
And so I think baking in those, not just like compliance and like listening skills and like following instructions that you kind of teach with younger learners about like, how do you be successful in schools and stuff and not get in trouble with police and whatever. Um, but you know, the independent living skills or like, you know, if you have someone you say in your family, you have someone with a developmental disability, maybe they won't be able to live by themselves, but if they're going to live with their folks, um, them being able to contribute significantly to the family system sometimes makes the biggest difference. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, um, we have, I'll just, I'll just use the name Matt cause it's my own name. You know, Matt lives on the back property. Matt helps us with these couple of things, but we also help, you know, he has a job that he goes to every day, but we pair the, li- we pay the lion's share of the bills. We help him with, uh, basically the things that are out of his ability, you know? Yeah. So that's one thing that I like about working with kids as they get older to kind of settle into what's the life that they're going to like, mm-hmm. you know? Do you find that a lot of the kids or uh, people you work with or treat, um, do you find that they're, they come from wealthier parents? Is that, is that something that's kind of exclusive to, or are there programs that can help families that are less fortunate or stipends to get the help that you guys provide? Yeah. So there's definitely the latter. I mean, resources are definitely huge for, for those families. I've found, I don't know. So I've only worked in Denver and now Northern California. So I only know those two like cultural areas, so to speak. Um, But at both locations I was working at, we had like affluent, higher socioeconomic status families and lower socioeconomic status families. Yeah. In both locations. So, so there's a little bit of mix so far, at least in my experience. Do you yeah. see any difference in the relationship between the kids or the young adults and their families in, in those different uh, demographics? Yeah. 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 So, there, there are some kids that, you know, maybe they're in high socioeconomic status families, but maybe their parents are working all the time, mm-hmm. you know, compared to um, maybe there's a kid where their, they, their family doesn't have much resources, but their family, their parents are around their house all the time you know just being in physical proximity to someone is going to make the nature of your relationship way different from them with Mm -hmm. them and things like that do you find that some of those families rely more on on what you guys provide rather than like them giving more effort to helping I think it's, it's like a crutch maybe. Well, do you, do you offer, uh, do you offer advice to the families to say also do this at home? Yeah. Yeah, you do. Yeah. So that's a whole part of the package that we do. Even if we only work with a, with a person, with a kid at school, we need to be able to translate in what we call like generalizing their behaviors to different settings. Right. So we can't just have a kid that's always melting down at home, but then they're great out in the community and they're great at school. Like that's still major problems for the family you know, or any variation of that. So generalizing behaviors, um, across settings is a big deal. Um, but also providing more resources to those families, you know, is, is a big thing that we do. That's gotta be, uh, very scary to, um, be the parent and, um, not know anything about how to give the best treatment to these kids. Um, like, if I ended up having a kid and it, you know, he had these disabilities, like I wouldn't know the first thing of how to make his life better or give 
him yeah. the tools he needs to help himself or what to do. Yeah. What to do. It's and like, how could you be expected to know? Even like, even just being a parent in general is scary enough mm-hmm. in, into that, in that same, uh, ideology. Right. Especially if you don't, if you didn't grow up in a family with a lot of kids or you don't have a lot of friends who have kids and you're like, is this how a kid is supposed to be? Oh, or is there something wrong? <laughs> is it me? What do I yeah. do? Yeah. It's a good point in that, that, that there is serious anxiety around that too, mm-hmm. because those families will come to us and be like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know where to start. I work in software or I am a nurse. Yeah. I don't know anything about behavior science. So a lot of it is teaching the families how behavior science works, what our plan is, why they should trust in the plan, how they need to help us by keeping interventions going and approaching them the same way at home when we're not there. Um, continually over decades of you ever go into their homes and study how they're at at home as well if they have that type of issue yeah so we do we do sit we do services at home we do services at clinic we do services at um even public places you know Mm -hmm. maybe we'll have social groups it's covid right no kids are being socialized right or very few kids are being like regularly socialized right now even if you're neurologically typical so you can only imagine how much our guys really need like peer interaction yeah or even practice with peer interaction right yeah it's crazy um what do you so you would you would you could uh you could guess or give an educated response to how do you think kids that are growing up during the pandemic how that's going to affect like being social or interacting with people in general, like, and what do you think we could do to kind of fix the damage that's been done? Well, what's weird about that also is I don't know how life is going to be different going forward than what it was before the pandemic hit as well. Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking with like our significant others about like, are you now working from home more? Mm -hmm. So society is going to be changing a lot. So, it's kind of hard to say. I, I really wish at this point in my life, I was like a 50 year old or like a 60 year old with enough like life knowledge to be like, oh, this is what this next generation is going to be like. Yeah. I so wish I could at least make a guess and then check back in 10 years to be like, <laughs> yeah. I was right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, um, we could all put bets on it. That'd yeah. be such a bad thing to do. But, um. <laughs> yeah. But at, at the, you know, at the minimum, a lot of young people right now just don't have the same reps with social interactions that we had growing up, for example. Yeah. You know, just repetitions of like, Oh, I should say that differently next time and it'll go way better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Checking yourself, like you're in the shower and you're like, fuck, I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. When your regrets come flooding back to you, (gasps) you're you're laying in bed and you're like, damn it. (laughs) It's partially also a generation of, of kids who are growing up with just with social media uh-huh. So social media mm-hmm. in school like when we were growing up is kind of kind of starting to get into it mm-hmm. but we still m- mostly had like we'll hang out with you after school and like maybe i'll text you if i have a phone or something or yeah I'll call you um but now it's like i think there's already gonna be have be some problems from having so much social media in our lives and then on top of that now just this so now there's kids who are communicating just over the video camera just over the phone text facebook that's it so it's gonna be kind of a strange social situation i mean i know i work from home and i've been doing it for like yeah, and you're weird as fuck. five years no but uh <laughs> i think Just that kidding. when i do go 
like there are some times where I'll be home for I'm not gonna lie I will be home for an entire week like I well, you never left because I also live in an apartment building so I if I have to take the trash out or check the mail it's just, all in the same place yeah if I'm gonna go to the gym same place there's usually not that many people going to the home gyms right or the apartment gyms so I'll, I'll be home for a week and then I'll step outside and I'll be like this is what people are like <laughs> Wow. It's kind of, I don't really. So you're, you're, you're your own little experiment right yeah, now. I am. Yeah. yeah. I can I mean, tell you folks it's not going well. You need help. <laughs> I am the way I am. Um, no, but I mean, I was an experiment. There's other people like that too, but yeah. now, now it's like so many people are like that. I think, mm-hmm. uh, I, you could also look at the inverse, like effect that could have on kids. Like you always see the Catholic girl syndrome of like a very conservative, uh, Catholic girl that goes to college, introduced to alcohol. She just goes crazy. I mean, I, that I partially happened to me. You were I was, a, I was girl? a young Catholic girl, <laughs> and I went to college, and uh, I was like, "Oh wow, this is crazy!" I had all these freedoms, and you were kind of like a lot of people are. Um, they're they're protect either protected by their family too or their their parents too much. Um. And, you know, they're not allowed to do certain things. So when they do have the ability to do it, they go buck wild. I mean, this is not, this is nothing new to people. People widely understand this, but when applied the same thought or notion to COVID kids, um, I wonder if like, you know, it'll be the same way. Uh, Oh, I'm able to go out in public without a mask. Like, (laughs) This is crazy. They go wild and crazy. I don't know. That's what Maybe. I'm gonna do. Yeah, that's that's true. You already do it. You he, Miles is a masked denier, actually. <laughs> no. So, um, no, I'm kidding. I wear my mask everywhere. Yeah, he does. He's good. He wears five. Wait, you know that. what's funny is we talk it so much about like how like if you don't have so much practice with so, basically being social, your skills are gonna wear off, right? Mm-hmm. And like even is that were, true? It's like sharpening yeah. your tool. It comes sure. becomes dull over I, time uh-huh. if you don't if you don't practice enough. Like yeah. you don't know that you need to address someone by looking in their eyes no. or like facing oh, toward them, yeah. right? Or because like also, waiting to reciprocate. Yeah. yeah. Also, a lot of times, like in my case, I don't use uh, I use Zoom, but I don't use the video conferencing part of it. He's shy. Just audio. Yeah. He doesn't want to make. He doesn't want to put makeup. It's because on too. I'm na- naked. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, so so I could totally see that. Now, like, I can talk to people, but, yeah, then it's the mannerisms when I'm around them mm-hmm. and saying, like... Well, we were talking, like, yesterday where we were talking about if you own a gun, you should be going to the gun range on a regular basis to practice your skills, and if you're not doing that, you're not, like, really being a responsible gun owner. Right. Uh, because mm-hmm. you do have to regular, regularly practice that skill to make sure um, you're being, when needed, you can handle the gun responsibly. Absolutely. Um, so it's, uh, <laughs> if we're not out in public socializing or interacting with people on a regular basis and, and honing in our, our people skills, that starts to take a little bit of a dive. You start to get a little schmeagly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like if Ariel works on a weekend, yeah, I'll just say her name. If she just works on a weekend and I have two days straight, and I'm just watching Always Sunny in Philadelphia for yeah. two days straight. 
my first conversation that I have with someone after those two days is going to be really whack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to botch that conversation. What, what character do you do you start to become? Oh, I'll come out immediately as Dennis. Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> just like just the, the implication. It's the implication. The golden god himself will come out yeah. and be like, "Ooh, <laughs> the golden god." I love that. All right, my next uh, interaction is going to be better than that one. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry. I think I made that weird. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm so sorry this came off way too golden gaudy um that's great so so you so you did the did the behavioral science uh working with autistic uh kids young adults for a little while and then what happened next then i accepted a job in esports which is pro gaming to be a coach for an esports team um which all that was happening in la so yeah picked up everything moved to la Asked for Ariel to forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> and then also move out there where she has family. So that was nice. Yeah. Well, um, you guys always figured event because you moved out to Denver for school. And then you, mm-hmm. I think I think your plan, what, correct me if I'm wrong, was to eventually find your way back to, closer to family, right? Yeah. We heard yeah. babysitters was the tech. That yeah. was the technique. <laughs> yeah. I, Knowing where they're at and use yeah. your resources wisely, yeah. as I say. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's cool. So uh, kind of a... Well, obviously a way different industry, mm-hmm. but you're still using the same behavioral. So what was your official title working in esports? Yeah, for me, I was a performance coach. So my responsibility was for what is the quality in which the team performs on match days when, you know, there are stakes for money or standings or, you know, championships or whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of how that's broken down is it, you can't expect a, uh, team in any sport to perform well if they're not practicing well too Mm. so a lot of it comes down to like practice habits and things like that so basically i was the coach and staff member that was responsible for what is the effort like what is the execution like what is the culture like um at practice and on stage this is crazy so every sport has this pretty much every yeah. major sport that's mm-hmm. yeah has a lot of money on and line. in more you know in the sports in in sports industries that are just way more developed you won't have a performance coach but performance coaching will be ingrained into every single coach on the coaching staff mm-hmm. you know what i mean and that's mm-hmm. really what esports would and will do if they're still doing their thing when they have caught up to other sports leagues yeah um because there's not a performance coach in the NBA right. or in the NFL, and sometimes that that is happening, but typically not. Well, you're a lot of, in a lot of cases uh, when you work with a bunch of professionals, uh, and there's so many different egos, that becomes the head coach's job is is managing those e- egos and personalities. Yeah, like, you can um, even frame them as personalities to not drive them as crazy and talk about <laughs> yeah. their egos as much. Who's the who's Soft the coach answer. that coached uh, the the Chicago Bulls during Phil Michael, Jackson? Phil is Jackson for that. Yeah, he he constantly Good talked luck with about Dennis Rodman, man. Yeah, he constantly <laughs> talked about his large part of his job was managing egos. Absolutely, because you had a bunch of these guys who were fucking amazing at what they did, mm-hmm. and when that happens, you have they become egomaniacs, and they got to where they got to where they are based on their own juice yeah. and based on their own success. Yeah, you know what I mean. So they've had to lean into it to a degree, you know? right? And that's intimidating. And trust right? in it. Yeah. If you're another team and you come in to play the Chicago, the Chicago Bulls with with that team, oh boy, and with all these egos, like 
it's intimidating. It's got to be. Yeah, true. Yeah, and you can lean into that a little bit. So, what game? What game were you coaching for, right off the bat? League of Legends. League of Legends. Yeah, which is a five-on-five game. So five-on-five, one head coach, coaching staffs of maybe two to five coaches. I would say was mm-hmm. average back mm-hmm. then. I don't know what it is in the last year. And but the team was five, or they had backups. Five players. Yeah. Yeah, five players. No backups usually. Wow, which I was not a big fan of. So if one think, one person for one reason or another couldn't play, what happened? You had to forfeit. You, mo- well, you. Here's part of the problems. In physical sports, you're prepared for that. Yeah, you have people in the because bench. it's inevitable. Yeah. In a non-physical sport like esports, it's easy to convince yourself that there's no physical limit limitate or no physical. It's like when you work from home. Huh? It's like when you work from home and you're sick. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. well, it's you like can probably to... still work because yep. like you're not coming, you don't have to come into work to get people sick. Exactly. And what do you, you just got a headache? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the problem is you don't want to have people that are ready to step in and play because one person is dropping out next man up thing, but you want for everyone to earn their spot yeah. and to keep their spot and to compete mm-hmm. every day at practice. You know what I mean? Right. And to keep a good attitude and to be a good teammate. Yeah. And if any of those things fall off, the way that every other sport works in the world is you just don't play as much. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Don't piss your coach off or he's not going to play you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not all those dynamics have really, or really were as involved in esports. Yeah. Um, you think it's because of the, the money? That's a, that's a factor. How much they have to pay the players. So they just yeah. cut it as close as they can. How yeah. much do they play the, pay the players on, on give us a range. Um, Sure, the, it's heavily bonus, right? Well, and it depends on the status of the player too. You know, is this like a player that's going to be all pro? Like, are they among the best positions in the league, or are they among the bottom positions in the league? Yeah. Um, I would say the average, the average esports player that I worked with was probably making between fifty and seventy or eighty k. Okay. To be an average player in the league. Uh huh. Um. The good players were making over 100k. Yeah. The very good players were making um, over a couple hundred k. Wow. The great players were making over several hundred k. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so, unfortunately, what would happen is you, those bags would be thrown to those big time players, mm-hmm. and then you wouldn't be able to afford to have four or five bench players. Yep. Right. Or you just money wouldn't be allocated that way. Yeah. And then you don't have depth. To keep your starters continually <clears throat> earning their spot every day. And you say it like that, like it's a threat. But if you played sports growing up, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's like, don't have bad effort. Or I'm going to take you out, <laughs> Edwards. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I have that coach voice in the back of my head <laughs> even now. Edwards, you know? It's like, that was terrible effort. Yeah. <laughs> you deserve to be pulled out after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, you're, okay, you're right. <laughs> what, what, is the, what, is the, what are the ethnicity makeup? Is it, is it, it's heavily dominated by Korean, right? Korean players. Yeah. For us, it was probably 40% Korean Americans, maybe. And then the rest was a mixture of, um, white Caucasian, Asian, non-Korean. Those, I would say white Caucasian, Asian, non-Korean would probably be the next, you know, yeah, the next biggest group. And what, what, what kind of age, what kind of aging demographic are we working with 12 aging? year olds yeah like well man like what's what the age group yeah yeah typically man 
17 to 22 really? young adults. So once you hit, when you aging out, when you hit in 23? A lot of, yeah, well, that's actually a big debate Okay, in the industry. It's like, have their, you know, does, do your finger skills fall off yeah, yeah. around 20 like, or Because so. like in the NBA, you start right. to hit like 32, 34, yeah. and you slimming down. You, you yeah. have to lose a lot of body mass. And now, now they're like ho- hoping your shooting skills is still are still great. Yeah. Uh, but you're not the man you used to be. And then right. you retire right. um, for physical reasons. Mm-hmm. In this sport, you, you got to imagine. I mean, I'm always... I'm always bewildered about these kids coming in and like, I, I we'll play like dabble in rocket league or call of duty and we're getting pwned by like a, a seven year old or yeah. like a 12 year old. Yeah. And he's just like whooping our ass. And I'm like, geez, the kids, probably these telling days, you about it too. they really know how to play these games. <laughs> yeah. Um, so but, I got to imagine once you hit a certain age, there's like a 17 year old, 17 year old that comes in and he's like, like this is all he does. He plays this yeah. since he was like super little, and he can still drink a lot of Red Bull because it doesn't affect <laughs> his body. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then the other thing, and part of it is you're right about that 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 these people will spend so long working on their craft, really yeah. to be respectful, working on their craft to get to where they are. But unfortunately, when what's different in in that process is it's not team oriented. Mm-hmm. When they are by themselves up until 17 years old just constantly working on their craft solo well you're not playing golf or swimming bro you're in a team sport <laughs> yeah you got to be able to communicate with people when you're annoyed and stressed and that was probably the, mm. probably what you worked on the most well in catching your time up. yeah it was catching up the 10 years or 15 years of lack of team dynamics or even coaching dynamics or mm. organized sports dynamics where it's like this is the way it works and you kind of got to trust us yeah um but that's a hard adaptation for young people to make quickly is league of legends the dominating uh video game right now in the esports world it was yeah but i was also back then fortnite was coming out but fortnite wasn't really doing esports stuff a whole lot yet certainly not the same level Mm -hmm. yeah they are now are they now yeah are they is fortnite now like a big player okay when you so we should tell everybody when you ended up retiring from esports yeah you like you weren't like catching up on the weekends of how it's doing you, you completely you're like i'm done i'm like, not let's tracking boom. it anymore <laughs> yeah it's yeah. true yeah i'm not i don't have any desire to track how the industry is doing i have one friend in that industry yeah that i'm interested in so, how he's doing yeah you could probably catch up with him and see how it's doing yeah during your time there uh did you see the 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 league not league of legends but the league esports like grow was it like a steady growth where you, cause like yeah. the big debate has been, this is the next thing. Like pro sports is going to take a backseat to esports. It's what the new, newer generations are more, um, focused on. Like my kids are more, more kids are playing yeah. league than they are playing like Madden or something. Yeah. And, 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 in in general, like, and the, which is another funny thing, like at what point will esports Madden video games overtake the popularity of the actual physical game? Mm-hmm. Right. Cause like, you, is there an esports for Madden? Um, I'm sure there is. Yeah. There's even NBA ones. So, yeah. Like yeah. white, like NBA 2K. Yeah. Like, whatever. and I really, what I think of esports is if you win, if you're playing at a certain level and if you win, do you get money? Yeah. If the answer is yes, then I feel like that's kind of esports. Okay. 
you know that's what fair. I mean? That's true. Whether you're in big leagues like I was in or mm-hmm. like a smaller, Tournament. like, you know, smaller yeah. console games. And with like streaming being as big as it's getting with like Twitch, like you, it doesn't, you don't have to have a single platform or like, um, league to do something. You can just have like independent tournaments and different things with money with people buying in to watch it or buying in to play it. And then people winning money at the end when, if you're, if you win, like that makes the whole idea of esports decentralized, right? Like hmm. there, there is like the League of Legends pro teams, but there, there's also like these other like little tournaments that are happening. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, or just streamers who are making money off of advertisers. Yeah. Because you, you might have a guy who you were talking about is making like 100k because he's a pretty good player, but he could also go stream, and if he has a good personality, he could make millions. So you know about that. That's yeah. a big thing. Yeah. And that's actually why we had a lot of players starting to look toward not playing professionally anymore as that's they crazy. get to their young 20s and mid 20s because they start to look in two ways. One, could I make more money if I just stream, which is way easier mm-hmm. <laughs> or at least more convenient. Could they do I, both? Sure. Do they have to sign a disclosure saying they couldn't do any streaming on the side? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. Um, Moonlighting. I also think a lot of players misunderstand streaming for not understanding that it's a performance that you're putting on yeah and you like and and a lot of times you're playing a character right when you're playing yeah Yeah. have you ever played video games and tried to talk to your friend at the same time and have a conversation it could be tough you gotta you gotta practice it's hard we do that sometimes with rocket league and we just end up losing yeah ridiculously and streamers have to practice Mm -hmm. having that vocal you know like you have your brain connected to your mouth um even esports players had to do that the 17 year old, okay, let's just be like totally mean for a second. The 17 year old basement dweller that goes into esports. And I say it like that because it, I totally understand that. And you saw that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. That's not being, I, I don't actually mean that like pejoratively in my heart about yeah. those people. Right. I can understand that being the path. Um, that person's not used to having stream of consciousness talking while they're playing. Oh, or the and social now they're in skills. a team sport where it's like, yo, yeah. we're going to have a system breakdown if you don't communicate with me mm-hmm. while we're playing, bro. Mm-hmm. And I've it's actually, your responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or you're off the team. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually told the story on the on this podcast about me going out to LA to hang out with you guys and then going to that party at the, like, yeah. I call it the, the frat house. It yeah. was almost like a frat house. Yeah. Um, and a lot of your 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 players were like, in a dark room playing while everybody was hanging out, like having a good time. Yeah. A lot of throwing social functions was giving the opportunity, but not enforcing. Yeah. I mean, that is, it is what it is, but sometimes that also makes for a really good player too. Like we also enforced some social opportunities. Too. Oh, 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 <laughs> we're going to the, insane. we're going to the movies. You're coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the we're bus going, is going to be, the shuttle is going to be there in 10 minutes for ice cream. You have to get Rocky road or you're off the team. <laughs> Should have brought them the strip clubs. <laughs> there you go. Wow. Yeah. No, that's funny. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but if you don't mind, I also want to say something too about mm-hmm. early twenties, why players stop and why okay. they stop playing. Part of it is they start looking at that. Part of it is also, I think a lot of these people look in their early 20s and they think of, they look around at what their family members are doing, what their friends are doing that aren't in esports. Mm-hmm. And they think, my God, I'm missing so much. I'm only playing this game and going to sleep and eating all the time compared to my friends that are getting these awesome dope houses yeah. and that are getting married and are traveling They're going to places to college. like the They're Pacific Northwest. Fun. Yeah. Um, or getting dogs or 
things like mm-hmm. that. And unfortunately, the more a lot of those things um, are hard to sustain in esports for players. These these guys, how how much did they play? Like on yeah, average, every day, how I, much do you think these guys were playing? I knew people. I I've known people in my in my past who would play all the time, mm-hmm. and they're just casual players, like what I would consider a casual player. Right. But they play all the time. Yeah. So to give you an idea, we would practice 80 hours a week. Then we would also have our players do effectively homework where they're just playing by themselves, training after hours, working on something specific usually is the ideal way. You'd be like, hey, like check this thing out, test this and see how it goes and do it for four more hours. So an 80 hour work week. Dude, that's 16 hours a day, Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. And a lot of that paradigm is something that I wasn't. I didn't feel like it was good and We're, I would try to have our, my teams do different things from that because I didn't feel like it was great. It wasn't healthy. Do you, were you guys worried? Or really maximally effective. Were you guys worried about like blood clots, like sitting down for too long? Would, like, did you enforce like some kind of routine of exercise or at least work just on, walk around like a little bit of like 15 minute break? Yeah. You might, you might do things like, um, you know, maybe core classes where you just work on core and, and hips and back. Yeah. Because those are the more functional esports muscles. Mm. Yes. Reminds me of the episode <laughs> you know. of South Park with the, the uh, VR one where Cartman's just on like sitting there and he's like all disgusting and has yeah. all these warts and stuff and he's sitting there in his VR universe. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that they're like that. I'm not trying to say this guy's like that, but yeah. But, but you think about what are the stressors on the body if you're an esports person. Yeah. You know, if someone has mm-hmm. back has like um, back issues, that's going to get worse and worse and worse. And humans aren't supposed to sit down. Like you'll talk to like my brother is a programmer, and they have like if you talk to someone who's in computer science, and I'm sure you know about this. Like hips and back and core are super targeted in those fields, because when you start to have back problems, it gets worse and worse and worse for you. Mm-hmm. Similar things with esports and gaming. Yeah, I could imagine they're similar risks. What? Um, mm-hmm. It's it's fascinating to me to go back to like the whole idea of um, kids uh, doing like what would be like freelancing, which is like streaming on the side. Mm-hmm. Like that's something that you couldn't do if you were an NBA player. You couldn't right. do like you can't just be like I'm gonna go play basketball and have people watch. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> it's like it, that. That's what makes it so interesting to me is the decentralization of the sport where like anybody can get involved. And you don't have to be like, you have to be good, obviously, or you have to be charismatic, play a character really well for the streaming thing, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to go to college, play the sport, then do the Columbine and then get drafted and, you know, do this whole thing. And, you know, for now I was, when I played football in high school and, uh, I was surrounded by guys who were interested in doing this long term, you know, talking with recruiters, going to college, and they would always talk about like the percentage of guys that play college football who actually get drafted is so small that it's like winning. It's like what you could win the lottery um, and you probably would have a better chance winning the lottery than getting drafted in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Um, But with esports, it's the entry, um, the amount of effort to get into the entry of it is so much scale back i think like you just have to play it you just have to be good on camera 
And I mean, I'm, I'm of course generalizing and making it sound easy. I couldn't do it. I mean, yeah. I do this and yeah, um, but it's, I find it hard enough, yeah, <laughs> but it's kind of like other things. Like if you were a YouTuber or something where it's not like you said, that whole long process of like, you have to do this to get started. You can just get started. And then that opens up the door to so many other people who may have been good content creators or players or whatever. And now they can easily uh, harness that skill because it's, Cause it's right there in front of them. Yeah. I remember when uh, Vine was, remember Vine? That was a big thing. Mm-hmm. I remember when Vines crashed and like they discontinued the app. I remember a lot of those content creators that I followed, what they did was either they started doing like sketch stuff on YouTube or they went into video game streaming. A lot of them did the video game streaming thing because they weren't necessarily good at the game that they were playing, but they were really good on camera because they were doing the video vine videos and yeah. collaborating with people and playing characters and mm-hmm. they're very goofy. And that translated very well to streaming video games and playing video games. And so like, again, going back to like the, the small barrier of entry for the, for the industry is like, um, you could not, you don't have to be good at the video game. Um, or you could be good at the video game and not be as good at, on camera. Like, and there's so many different people who fit that mold, um, and uh, that just makes it more exciting. Like, I have a couple of friends who are like, "Yeah, I want to eventually do that," or "I want to, you know, uh, I do that on the side." Or I'm not very popular, but it's like something, and you can have, you have fun doing it too. It's like a hobby. It's a hobby, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that you can make money off of eventually. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> And that's the hope for a lot of people that you do it at first and it's fun. And then you might be able to monetize more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And you might even be one of those people that hits that point that it's like, I can monetize this enough that I can quit my job. Right. And that's really wild. You yeah. Know, that's, I know I was w- wondering about in, so with streaming, there's, it seems at least from what I've seen to be actually a, like a decent female presence. But how is that in esports? Is that similar or is it more male dominated? To stream as a female in esports? No, like in the esports in, in the leagues teams. In the, on the teams. Were there any females on the teams oh, like you coached? Players. Yeah, um, we didn't have any. We didn't have any, and it didn't feel like there is a great reason why. Hmm. Hmm. It but, kind of reminds me of like why there's not a lot of females in computer programming probably right it's just not something they're interested in or if you think about it and i follow the nba a lot there are now some fresh new nba coaches that are women right and even that's kind of new yeah we talked about that there's a female there's a female nfl coach 49ers referee referee there is a referee female referee but there's also a coach yeah for the 49ers i think assistant coach mm. she's female i think she was like one of the first we saw during the super bowl yeah, you know, watching the Super Bowl. I think it was it was the ref, right? It was the ref. And yeah. I was like, "What? Never seen that before." I can tell you, those women are probably badasses, and they probably have yeah. excellent communication skills. Yeah, mm-hmm. because they've got to be to able to there. make it work with all of these prickly, mm-hmm. um, you know, a male dominated prickly industry. Males. Yeah, that sure. are that you have to speak to them differently. You have to think about this word choice compared to that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they're probably great communicators. Absolutely. Honestly, I, I could see that for sure. So, so you did League of Legends, and then you did another sport. Was it Overwatch? Yeah. And then yeah. I did. And then I did Overwatch. Which, um, when you told me that, I was like, Overwatch. I was like, that, that's a thing. What is like, that? I, I know the video game, and I know like people liked it, but I it wasn't. 
since I wasn't playing it and it wasn't something <laughs> I was into, um, or none of my friends were into it, I I thought I didn't think it was that big of a thing to actually have an esports team for. Yeah, which is wild because the teams were basically a lot of how Blizzard said it. Blizzard is a company that put it on the game company that made Warcraft and World of Warcraft and um, Starcrafts and things like that. Um, they ran their league by basically finding traditional sports people and having them set up franchises. Okay. So like Robert Kraft from the Patriots had like a Boston franchise. So I worked for the LA franchise, which the pockets were basically like the LA Rams. Okay. And like the Denver Nuggets family. Oh. So, the, so the game companies actually are the ones who pushed it, right? They, they made they those relationships. Those, those... Yeah, basically they needed to have, it was, I what was it, 20 million to buy in for a spot in the league? Wow. I think that's what it was. Uh, yeah. I think it was 20 million to buy in. And I think there was, oh boy, I'm going to be in trouble for not knowing this. There's at least 20 teams. Do you think, do you think those teams are profitable? I know that a lot of them, that most of them are not. Gotcha. And I know a lot of them are operating because the people who are running them just love the daily feel. Yes. Honestly. Yes. Or they're maybe barely making it work, but they love the daily feel. Yeah. Um, it's cool. It's a cool thing to have too. I imagine it's like a clout thing. Like, yeah, I've got an esports team. Yeah. 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 That's why. That's why, in my opinion, there's a lot of these great restaurants that have like these really over the top restaurants. Like at the end of the day, they don't make money, but they're started by guys who have a lot of money, and they mm-hmm. think it's cool to have their own restaurant. Like, yeah. oh yeah, let me take you to my restaurant. Like, oh you have a restaurant. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, let me let me show you my esports team. I have a fucking esports team. Yeah. It's like yeah. having a ginormous house. It's yeah. like you and your wife and maybe you have a kid or something. Mm-hmm. And then you have a 15,000 square foot house. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, look at my Three house. Three pools. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. only use one of the pools. Yeah. So my perspective now in hindsight, looking at esports, like we we're talking about like lack of depth with like teams pl- paying players to be bench basically. Right. Yeah. Or to be backups. Yeah. And it's easy to be like, oh, this is annoying. How come they don't do that? But if you think from the perspective of business owners, it's like, I'm not making money on this. Mm-hmm. I literally can't give any more money to provide depth. A lot of it becomes, how do you strat? What's your strategy for, you know, was that, was that a contributing uh, factor to you leaving the sport? So, there were some things like that, that was like, this feels re- situation a feels really terrible, but I understand why it's happening. And I don't think it's going to change very much in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. And if I ask Ariel to, to wait any longer while this changes, I'm going to lose out on the more important thing in my life. Yeah. I'm out. Some people are very passionate about it and probably will stick with it and find longevity into it and have to deal with all the bullshit in between as the sport grows. And it just seemed, it seemed like from your perspective that you were like, you know, maybe would you, would you consider going back to the industry once it has evolved and grown and budgets become bigger, teams become more profitable or were you like, eh, you know, I had my, I had fun. I feel more like that. You know my wife well enough to know that she's really smart and is very independent and is really strongly opinionated. I would need for her to think it's a good idea for me to be <laughs> interested even slightly. Yeah. You know what I mean? I need sure. for it's not like it couldn't be something that I'd have to be like, "Hey, think about this or maybe check this out." She'd have to approach me with it for me to be interested even oh, slightly. I see. <laughs> 
you did you did some <laughs> traveling some cool traveling yeah that was really were, cool i'm where'd you go by the way i haven't said this i'm really appreciative and thankful for all my experiences in esports mm-hmm. i really have like um the people i met and the ridiculous players that i worked with, like ridiculously good players that i worked with i worked with good coaches and good teams can i just say that i thought you were fucking crazy when you uh, when I first met you, you were interested in this thing and you were working with like clubs or something. You're doing a couple different things. And then you were like, yeah, I'm trying to do this thing where I'm going to apply what I learned here and, and move it into the esports uh, mm-hmm. scene. And I remember being like super supportive of the of you your idea. I was like, you should really, you should control your own destiny. You're one of my day ones in that way. That's true. Yeah. And uh, I was like, and then when you were like, yeah, I got a couple interviews and then you're like, dude, I got the job. I was like, holy fuck. This like, is happening. I can't believe you did that. I remember feeling <laughs> that, feeling the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was super proud of you, man. And I was really sad because that meant you had to move to LA, yeah. but I was like, I was content with it because I knew that you worked so hard to make it happen for yourself. Like that there was nobody opening doors for you. Or there weren't any doors when you approached it to be open. I had open. to pitch what I wanted them to pay me to do. Yeah, exactly. Really? And then to create my own yeah. job description and then kind of my own approach to the job and be like, hey, like I can help you guys add value in these ways. Uh-huh. As opposed to them being like, hey, we're, we're hiring this. I hope you meet the qualifications. It was, hey, please hire me as this. Here wow. are my qualifications. Here's what my plan is going to be. Yeah. And that sounds cool and that's like exciting at first. But I needed more structure than that long term. Yes. I need I need and want things like supervisors and job descriptions. Yes, because <laughs> and staff meetings. Well, it, 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 I think it also you were being. It was a very risky move for you to do that because now when they do when they do say like yes, then you got to be like oh fuck like now I got to do it like mm-hmm. and I have to I had to you have to like prove yourself every year that you're worth what they're giving you. Yeah, and without any like guardrails or bumpers yeah with which is like supervisors giving you direction mentors in the field or like you like you said just the bare minimum which is like a job description of like what you're like you didn't you didn't have any of that you were like controlling that whole thing which is like incredibly i would assume like scary because if the team doesn't do better next year yeah you were worthless to them. Yeah. You were constantly trying to yeah. having to check yourself. You're right. Yeah. Which is like, I can imagine is, is, is pretty uh, frustrating at times. Uh, you know? Yeah. Did, did that, did, did that, um, bo- that obviously had to bother you a little bit, right? Yeah. It kind of, it kind of, um, wore, it kind of stripped microscopic layers away every year yeah. or so. And then it's just like eventually you you lose enough layers to where it's like, oh, we're doing this again next year, but it's, <laughs> you know, are we ready to do this one more year? Do you think it worked? What, what you were doing with the guys? Yeah. I noticed a difference. Mm-hmm. I noticed a big difference. A lot of it was just like, do I make a good influence, right? Even in 1% for one player. So there would be certain players that I would work with a lot and I would I would need to be a big influence. And there would be some players that if I could positively influence them 5%, that was huge. Hmm. You know what I mean? In specific ways, because different players need different things. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Especially some of the players I worked with. I worked with Hall of Famers. You know what I mean? That's I, awesome. At least some. Yeah. You know, I worked with some like fresh new 
wet behind the ear, you know, super young players. But I worked with some like Hall of Famers that like are going to be remembered in like Generation One esports down yeah. the road. If mm-hmm. he's if if and as esports survives, they're going to look back on that generation and be like, wow, I remember these guys. Imagine if they had more help and more support from their coaching staffs. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. So, That's did cool. you did you have peers that you could that you could talk to about issues you were having or things that? You had questions about or yes okay and this is where i have to admit that i'm weird and different <laughs> the problem is i don't want to be friends with anyone that i'm competing with i don't even want to be friendly with someone that i'm competing with so so the whole the whole uh saying uh keep your friends close but your enemies closer it is not like there gel could, with your strategy. I wouldn't be down because the thing is there were opportunities for me to do that. And maybe in hindsight, if my goal was to make esports work and to stay in esports and everything else was peripheral, maybe I should have done more of that. Of connecting with my peers and being like, Man, how do you how do you handle this thing? Mm-hmm. Or like, I'm I've got this challenge at work right now. What do you do about that? But I didn't want to do any of those things because I also didn't want to show my hand to my competitors that yeah. worked for other teams. And I wasn't interested in even being friends. I, I liked it better when I could villainize those people. I was, I was the psycho that would, on my work, and I did this when I was a player too, in did my you work hear area. Chad is a child molester. What? <laughs> like that kind of <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Planting seeds like, yo, uh, yeah, the yeah, other yeah. team. They uh they low key like are into child porn. <laughs> well, like, what's funny is I actually think that this happens in sports. You hear about like famous people who have fabricated stories about like oh this guy once slighted me when I was a kid and asked for an autograph. Yeah, and I remember that for twenty years. And then the last like Shaq, did that happen? He's like, no, I made it up. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And yeah. And so I think I learned at a younger age that if I villainize people, I prepare to compete against and play against them harder. Mm. If I don't like even 1% of you, if I like one or 5% or 20% of you, I might not be as cutthroat when I, I need to was a, or work as hard. Did you take a little bit of that from MJ's uh, playbook a little bit? Did I think some, those, of some of that was, yeah. yeah, I think some of that super competitiveness. So like for me, I was a psycho like my players would even like laugh and make fun of me for this, but I would print out the faces of opposing coaches and I would put them on my wall the whole week before we would play them because I'd look at their damn faces. Yeah. And I'd be like, imagine how what this guy's doing to prepare to play against us. That son of a bitch, I need to do a little bit more, you know? Yeah. You would um, start to fabricate stories in your head about what these people are doing. They don't even they don't even respect what we're doing over here. Yeah, and fuck them, dude. Yeah. yeah. And then it's like, okay, I'll do two more hours today. Uh, you know what I mean? So let's talk about that. How, what was your work schedule like? How many hours a week were you working? Rough and not fair to Ariel. Um, yeah. For me, I was, for me, I'm like a, so for an airport person, if I'm flying, I'm there two hours before my flight. Yeah, me too. Even if you only need 90 to 90 minutes. Yeah. Even if most people only need 90, I need an hour 20 so I can enjoy the experience and know that nothing's going to go wrong. I approach sports the same way when I was a player and when I was a coach. So for me, it was like, the worst thing is if we lose and if I look myself in the mirror and I think of what I could have done. So, so long as I have that clean heart by the time that we play and we're competing, I could accept any outcome. I could get yeah. my ass kicked. Helps you sleep at night. Exactly. Yeah. I could live with myself. So I was a preparer. So for me, 
in order to feel like I've done my absolute best and there's no way I could have done it any differently and I've got to just live with this. If we lost and we lost, we got killed sometimes, we got embarrassed sometimes, it happens. You take your licks before you learn how to win. Um, I would start my day super early. Um, so I would get to the practice area two hours before players, um, maybe even sometimes three hours to make sure that meetings and stuff were ready. Normal things, right? If you talk to anyone, that's not even giving myself a whole lot of credit. You talk to anyone who works in any type of semi or pro sports, you need, it's almost like school. Before the kids come in, you got to have all your lessons and stuff ready. You got to know what your plan is. You got to have your materials good. So there, there's no dead time, right? Because like a good practice is constant. There's no waiting around on the practice field or, you know, in the house or in the facility or wherever we were. So I needed a couple hours before players got there. And then I would usually like maybe an hour or so after players left. Um, and that's more normal in NBA and in the NFL and stuff like that. Mm. Um, so unfortunately, my days would start at more like four. Jesus, fuck. Practice would start more around like nine-ish. Practice would go from nine-ish till maybe eight-ish. And I'd be back at home at nine. At night? And yeah. Oh my and that God. would be, but that would be in season. And I would have three months off. Okay, so you know like what a, I mean, like like almost like a teacher. Yeah, yeah, makes sense, but doing... it's not worth it. <laughs> so, so it's a lot of <laughs> hours. Yeah, but you're not doing it twelve months a year. You're doing that mm. eight months or so. But that's, that's still a long lot. time. Man. That's a lot, man. If you, you know, think about like uh, like what teachers do, I mean, they're not working that amount of hours, and they get like three months off. But they're also not competing for as much glory and money. And <laughs> That's true. There's much more on the line yeah. than shaping you know, the minds of our youth. You know, if your team does, even if you're super selfish, and if your team does well, and everyone kind of thinks about what your bonus might be, right? Yeah. If your like team does well, you'd be like, oh, I could, I could chip in and get this bag for Ariel or something, <laughs> uh, or I could be like, oh, I, maybe I could buy this thing. So or, your your compensation was also had some bonus structure to it. Yeah, usually. Yeah. And why wouldn't you do that, right? Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I would do that sense. for player contracts too. Yeah. Why not? It makes you work harder. Yeah. They should do that to te teachers too. I think we've talked about that before. Yeah, that would be awesome. Do but they? there's some like assessment is part is hard. There's that, some though. Yeah. There there's some like gray lines that work out there though. A lot of gray lines. Yeah. Especially if you work at a, a school that's uh like uh, I forget what they call them where they have a lot of immigrants and stuff or non English speakers. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, or lower lower income areas yeah. probably have uh, less family support, right? Because um, they're working out long hour jobs, and you know the kids maybe are more. Yeah, there's a there's and you have a, different kids every year. Yeah, exactly. It's not like you have a, a team that like, you recruit and yeah. pay to be there. Yeah. <laughs> you really paying kids well, to be at school, that, they would learn a lot more. That's the other thing too. Is like, I I mean I have coworkers and stuff, and I because of my own respective time, I would never try to ask them to like stay later or start earlier to work on something with me or whatever. Cause I have, I have people who work in different time zones and I'm always like, Hey, it's five o'clock their time or whatever their work hours are. I'm like, Hey, if you need to go, just go. And it's their choice if they want to keep talking to me or not. Um, but you were more would be more incentivized to keep the players to keep practicing right like were their contract was, was their contract like you have to work 80 hours a week 
of practicing no but there's you know there's kind expectation. of expectation team expectations there's the expectation as well. yeah so yeah. did you ever have things where like guys just didn't want to yeah play and unfortunately that is part of the things that esports is needs to continue to get better about just culturally being like hey we this isn't a gaming house anymore that's like some 2012 shit <laughs> this is 2020 mm-hmm. you are in a gaming facility this yeah. is your work. You punch in, you punch out. You come in as early as you need. You know, like the best like the best players in any sport, they got to work earlier than they needed to because they wanted to and they saw the benefits. Mm-hmm. And they knew that the other great players on other teams were doing that. So if you weren't doing that, they're going to just outpace you yeah. and things like that. So a lot of it is kind of like self-guided, but you need to set up cultural things for okay. Why not just call it practice? And say we have individual training for three hours. You know right. what I mean? If you really need everyone there, you could just own up to it and call it mandatory. <laughs> yes. You know? Yes. And that's kind of a difference. And you have to that pay you... them for it, right? Don't you have to pay overtime or something? I'm sure that in well, Cali- the salary, especially though. in California, there's got to be labor laws against. Yeah, I was going to That was actually, my next question was, is there like a union that. that players can join? Yes. There's yeah. a player union. But you can only imagine it's not as well ran as like an NBA player union yeah. right? where those guys are like, look, That's I'm 40. Yeah. I want to look out for this next generation. That's not happening. Yeah. It's like, it's like a 25 year old looking out for 23 year olds. And you guys not had really players who were 17, right? They weren't even adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that, is that change? Like, did you have HR around? Was there like any we of those? We should have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We should have, but didn't. So a lot of it's just like, they're like little mini mini businesses. Yeah. And when you're a mini business, it means that you don't have all the details fleshed out like you need to not have issues. Yeah. You know what I mean? You talk to your HR when you have human issues that you need help resolving. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, esports teams would totally benefit from things like HRs. And a lot of my job was doing HR things. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of Well, because like when you are operating in such a small capacity or like a small business type environment. So many hats. You do, yeah, you wear all that. And a lot of that, hap- like I can relate to like a lot of like the, the restaurant industry is kind of in the same way. Mm. Like if you open your restaurant, um, say you're like a successful chef and you were working at a restaurant that you didn't own, but now you've honed in skills and you've saved a little money. You want to open up your little ramen shop or whatever. Um, quite often what you would find and see is like, not only, only did you build the menu, but you're also responsible for fixing the stove when it goes out or fixing the walk-in cooler. Like you're the chef, you're the maintenance guy. You're like somewhat of the HR guy and you uh, run the numbers too. Like, yeah. so like yeah. your margins are tight. You can't yeah. just hire someone. To exactly. Do um, and, unless and, you're doing a multi-unit operation is that's when you start to see a little bit more, uh, inflow of money to allocate to different positions to help you run the business more efficiently, have more structured roles, defined yeah. roles. Mm-hmm. That way, if this part of the business isn't going well, you have a person and a place you can go to and say, mm-hmm. yo, we got a performance this, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? As yeah. opposed to, so I'm just doing my best. I'm really overwhelmed, which yeah. everyone can identify with right now with COVID. I feel like everyone's being pulled in any job yeah. that you work in. Everyone's being pulled in so many more ways than they were two years ago. Yeah. Especially if your company laid off a bunch of people and then the work was still there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Speaking of which, how do you think COVID affected that industry of esports? God, I'd love to know from the inside, but yeah. I don't. Yeah. Right. 
Because right. what's weird is we've looked at thing we've looked at things like the rates of like okay everyone's at home people are probably watching more sports right it's not true even traditional physical sports mm. people are doing things like going on hikes more like incorporating their coping skills into what they're doing for fun more maybe working on their house more right they're um, compensating in other areas that were untraditional to pre-covid or they would normally sit on the couch but now people are spending so much time at home i think they're more sensitized to doing nothing on the couch yes to where it's like i'm going to be more productive with my time you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so you would expect for nba ratings to be up nfl ratings to be up esports ratings to be up and they're not yeah people aren't watching as much now if you watch the product for like physical sports you'll be like well there's no one in the stands there's no lights there's no sounds that's not as cool that Mm. stuff obviously makes sense but with esports i have the same curiosities i wonder i think the i think the whole environment of being able to go to a baseball game or being able to go to a basketball or football game i think that bred the interest to keep watching when your team wasn't playing at home like yeah it's got to it keeps it keeps in the interest like you you go to a broncos game for instance and you have such a great time and you kind of hold on to that like feeling it creates like anytime i see now the broncos logo i remember oh how much of a good time i had at the broncos Same. game and oh i'm oh the broncos are playing on saturday i'll put the game on like but since people have been so disconnected from that that experience because like and that and that in general is what people are more interested nowadays is like the experience piece of things um and it's so much different uh from being able to like watch it on your couch from actually being at the 50 yard line watching the game um Mm -hmm. and hearing the rumble of the crowd and the smells and the the sounds and um yeah. yeah, we'll start to lose a little bit of that, right? The thing is, you're you're spending one to five hundred dollars on a ticket. Yeah, you and your buddies, your family, whoever. You're all like, yeah, we we bought the tickets, we have the passes, whatever. We're we're going. Like, we're gonna go do this thing. Versus, like, yeah, it's on TV, and like, I might watch it because yeah. it's on there. But there's really no commitment for you to watch it. Mm-hmm. That's like the idea behind branding something in general is like when you start to put a value on it or like a high value on it, it becomes more desirable, right? Like, like the difference between the material used in the Gucci bag versus like a bag that you would find that somebody would make on Etsy or something may be quite similar. Mm -hmm. But the fact that it has this mark on it that says Gucci and you know, there's the clout behind it and Oh, uh, Justin Bieber's wife is wearing one. Like it becomes more desirable. Right. I think like sports kind of operate in similar manner maybe you could you could see like pull parallels from that yeah sure and so when you start to lose the face value of it like oh it's free on television oh like well i'll just catch the next one i'm not really losing out on anything or gaining anything by not watching it yeah yeah Uh, yeah i mean like you see sports teams move around yeah. So, because like with some sports, especially college, there's some kind of relationship with the team. Yeah. Where you're like, I lived in that area, or I really uh, liked a player who played on that team for a long time, whatever. Um, but then it's kind of just like, well, that's the local football team, or that's the local soccer team, whatever. I just go to go to their games uh, just for just for fun. Uh, but if I can't go to the game, then I don't really care that much about it. And you would see, I think you saw, or people would see in the industry 
within the last decade of the decline of viewership, but the college sports were declining at such a smaller rate than pro sports are. I think because of that, like more people are getting, getting college degrees, more people are being almost indoctrinated into the idea of college sports. Um, and less people are watching professional sports. And so we were just talking about like the decline of sports in general, um, like the NFL or, and the NBA is a big one. NBA's ratings are, are just crashing at the moment, especially during pandemic mm-hmm. and, and forward. But college sports seem to be declining at such a lower rate. Um, like in the last couple, especially pre pandemic, the last couple of playoff uh, college football playoffs have been record breaking college football viewership. Um, and you don't see that in in the other other industries. Do you think that also could be related to the political climate of the of those leagues as well? Because like both in the NFL and NBA, we've had uh, people sticking up for uh, civil unrest. rights and things like that. That's true. Um, where a lot of yeah. people who you would think like a a, a lot the, a huge demographic of uh, those types of sports are people who are more upset about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So they've like boycotted it. Maybe it's also hurt that industry a bit. Well, I think a lot of people who loved watching those, um, and not everybody, but I, I could see people being upset that like, like, dude, I just want to watch football. I don't want this to be a political conversation. Like just fucking throw the ball. Like, don't try I can, to influence me. Yeah. Like don't try to, yeah. don't try to, don't try to, um, don't try to make this about something else. Um, I've heard that, but you know, and, and the, the other side of the coin is like, these are important issues. These are big national stages that gain a lot of influence or can showcase. Um, and, and, you know, we're going to make this issue is important to us or important to a player. And, you know, we're going to use the influence to broadcast these ideas. Um, so, you know, I could see there's, there's obviously, two sides of this mm-hmm. or many obviously mm-hmm. many sides but but i really i haven't seen that as much in college maybe a little bit here and there you don't there's, there's so also so many teams that it's not like oh lebron james did this it's like yeah yeah you know every year or every few years we have a a, few, a kind of small group of, of a core or star college football players or basketball players or whatever but you don't, they don't get as much press as someone who's making, yeah. you know, $100 million a year or something. Well, you got to think about the nature of the compensation between the two. Like, mm-hmm. w- when you get, like, a $47 million deal with the Broncos, like, you've made it, man. Like, you now have the clout, the ability to uh, voice your opinion and do these things. When you're in college and you're fighting, it's a dog-eat-dog world in college. Oh, yeah. Like you're comp- competing against ten times the amount of people from p- pro sports to college sports, um, and so really, like you're you're worried about doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing. Or some players, some players, yeah. yeah. But some players, yeah, yeah, right. But do it. Everybody's the fuck different. They want. Everybody's different. I mean, if you're if you're Jameis Winston <laughs> and you're Golden Boy and you want to fucking and and you're the Heisman Trophy winner, you can stand, well, he felt that he could stand (laughs) up on, you know, uh, and say, fuck her right in the pussy, uh, and get away with it, which he kind of did, which is a whole nother argument in itself of how wrong that is. But, um, 
yeah there's always going to be those cats in yeah. the industry that hey, but tying actually that brings up a, a good topic i think tying Jameis's behavior back to our conversation um he's kind of been like rotten i would say like he he kind of just seems like he does what he wants doesn't really think about his actions and like some of the things he's done like what you just brought up are kind of outrageous like who 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 does that somebody you know? who thinks their shit doesn't stink right exactly yeah. Yeah. or who and, hasn't but, had to change right yeah like so, that's that's where you bring up the term rotten where it's mm-hmm. al- it's almost like on an indicative of what it's what are the insides like mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah how much has someone had to be different or mm-hmm. change the more gross parts of that's the thing that spoiled when when you are in college football and when college sports in general especially college football since there's so much money involved in it when you're that good you get babied you get catered to like i i worked uh before i moved out here i worked uh in a basketball recruiting office doing design and, and graphics for recruiting basketball players and what they would do to suck up to these players to come to their school is it blew my mind. Right. I mean, they were like sending them like uh, f- photos of them with their faces on this and that and like sucking up to them, bowing down, being like, please, please come play for us. <laughs> and so I'm sure Jameis Winston was pandered to not pandered, but like was, yeah, was was given anything he wanted and uh you know not not money obviously but like he never really had to earn his like spot like he didn't have to fight for it because he's so good and then that breeds this ego of like well i'm the king on the campus i can do where the fuck i want and there's no consequences right Um, and life's going well for me yeah so yeah do i really have to change yet or or is the way that i've been doing things making me successful yeah right until now Yes. Because, because now he's not successful. Well, he just he just got yeah. picked up by uh, the Rams, not the Rams, um, the Saints again, right? After oh. what's his face uh, ended up, um, Drew, Brees Drew Brees retired, so they picked him back oh, he up. Retired? Oh. Yeah, fascinating. Okay. Jameis's problem is he just turns the ball over too much. Well, that's so. Now that's my question: is could all of so like if you think of someone like Tom Brady, who? who seems at least to have a really consistent schedule, like what he does. He oh yeah. He really focuses on all the skills. Right. Uh, but someone like Jameis Winston, who may just be like, I'll do whatever the fuck I want today. Like I'm so good. Maybe I don't have to practice. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't have to work on that. And maybe that's why he throws so many interceptions. Lack Absolutely. of discipline. Yeah. It's the biggest thing. I mean, Tom Brady's parallel is kind of like LeBron James, right? You talk about how much money they spend on their bodies. Mm-hmm. You talk about like the kale pajamas that Tom Brady wears at night. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But it shows yeah. the commitment to the process and it shows that they don't overlook the process and that like rotten inside. I just, I love that idea mm-hmm. because it's almost like a ship, right? Yeah. If you don't pay attention to the insides of that ship, it's going to corrode and the whole thing's coming down. So it's almost like a matter of time to where if you're just floating on your talent, it's going to catch up with you mm-hmm. either through injuries or through behavior or through decisions like turnovers. Yeah. Right. A lot of turnovers is like anticipation, research decisions, things like that. Mm. And Tom Brady is like the best example of paying attention to that process. He pulled off something that's unprecedented in sports yeah. by going to Tampa Bay and basically pulling like a, like a basketball power move by bringing his boys over with him Yeah, in a, uh, sport that's not five on five like NBA, but there's so many more 
on each side of the field in football, mm-hmm. it kind of shows that that is the way to win in sports. I mean, that was so suspicious. It seemed rigged, right? <laughs> it did. Like, like Super Bowl is going to be in ta- is going to be home field advantage in Tampa this year. Yeah. Tom Brady moves to Tampa, yeah. signs with the Bucks, brings all his talent over to Tampa. We should probably check, hmm. check the balls, make sure they're inflated. There's 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 a uh, something that happens when there's way too many coincidences yeah. in a row. It's yeah. kind of undeniable to where that's how conspiracy theories are. So I'm gonna throw this conspiracy out that Tom Brady and the NFL have been working behind <laughs> the scenes to rig. The Super Bowl outcome. Why not? Why not? Yeah. Or look, Tom Brady died oh. last year. Oh shit! Right. We're talking about alternate timelines. And now, now it's a robot. <laughs> right. Tom Brady's a robot. <laughs> I remember you. You and I used to have conversations about Tom Brady, and we would talk about how Tom Brady is like the ultimate figure of like white privilege, right? In a, a lot of people look at him that way. Yeah. And there have been moments over his career that, just like what you're alluding to, things like the the Oakland Raiders strip sack fumble play, which we don't need to get into and divulge, you know, too much from. But um, a lot of people look at him that way. Yeah. And a lot of them are not wrong in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, compared to someone who who made it out the mud, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Single parent family. Right. Not being a white male in the United States. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, right. Like, that's a good head start. Yeah, that you get. Not, not bad. And it might also bring the finish line closer. <laughs> in both ways. Six Super Bowls later. Yeah. Seven Super Bowls. Yeah. yeah. I just watched that uh, documentary on Netflix about the uh, college entrance. Uh, oh, the college uh, admission scandal. Yeah, admission scandal with yeah. Rick Singer was the guy who ran the whole operation. Yeah. And this conversation reminds me exactly of that because it's like, and they pointed out like several times in the documentary, it's, they say these people who have the already the largest advantage out of everyone else in, yeah. in the world had to cheat. That's what was so staggering yeah. to me too. I'm like, really? You had to pay how much to get your kid into yeah. college? Almost like twice the amount that you would pay for the tuition to get into this place. Right. Is it really worth it at that point? It's I don't crazy. understand. You're you're this person. Your kid does not need to go to college <laughs> to begin with. Like, yeah. And that's and so the documentary actually puts some of the blame, which I'm not sure if I agree with this or not, but they put some of the blame on the colleges and say that the colleges have made this environment where it's like, if my child doesn't go to Harvard or if my child doesn't go to Stanford, then, uh, you know, they're nobody or whatever this it is. This timeline is just messed up forever Yeah, for that poor child. Exactly. Yeah. And There's no uh, other life they can live. So it's kind of interesting because I think in some, like in some uh, social circles, that's totally true. It's like, oh, your kid didn't get in, or your kid didn't go there, or you didn't, or whatever it is, and it's awkward. But yeah, makes me sad. There's a, there's a, uh, there's definitely like, it's like a pedigree or a, a hierarchy or not, uh, for lack of a better word, I guess I'm, I'm not, it's not coming to me, but. Um, the alma mater matters to a lot of families. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, oh, we're a Stanford family. Like yeah, you got, you're going to Stanford. There's no it's ands or buts about it. Um, did you guys hear about the, I think it was Harvard, 
was like making it harder for Asian Americans to get accepted. There was a lawsuit, but I don't know what came out of that. Yeah, I heard about that, and I thought that was interesting because it's yeah. like you would think it was like it, it, that though that demographic was more um, like they're they're considered a minority. So I know colleges make a a exerted effort to bring in sure more marginalized groups. Yeah, exactly yeah, for sure. Um, and this is like the first case of that being. Yeah. In modern times, like flipped where it's like, oh, we're going to make it harder for these kids because they're so smart and they're excelling so well um, that like, you know, they're killing it. Like, oh, so weird. we need to make it a little harder for them to. Yeah, you should look this up because I may be talking right <laughs> out of my ass. Yeah, it was students for fair admissions versus Harvard, hmm. uh, which was in wow. 2014. Um Interesting. Yeah, but let's see. We can probably find out what the wow. yeah this d- decision was that it was paused until 2016, uh, but it went up to the Supreme Court apparently. Hmm. Um, but they said that they did not discriminate against Asian Americans was the uh, verdict. Okay, well that's so, good. But see, the fact that it sorry, went so Harvard. far and made news headlines almost yeah. is to your point. When I went to Boston to visit Miles while he was living there, I uh, went to like. What's the place? Where's is it? Not it's not um, Cambridge. Cambridge yeah, is Cambridge the area is where it's town. at. Yeah. Uh, we Suburb. would uh, go hang out there and like pretend we were at Harvard and like hang out. And do <laughs> yeah, it, you know, or like Harvard. Hang out on the steps of the library and like eat a salad and be like, "What's going on?" Like, hey, yeah. Oh, uh, you going to you going to econ? Okay. Yeah. I'm uh, you know, just taking a lunch break. <laughs> the mess hall was closed today, so. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um but uh yeah no it's all that's all interesting um so so you went you did the esports thing you retired from that and then now you're back uh back at your roots yeah so i'm back doing behavior therapy um for people with developmental disabilities mostly autism now my age group is more f- four to twelve so more kids in early early adolescence now. Okay. Yeah. So I kind of learned how to do the job before esports, and now I'm I've come back, I've refreshed, and I've picked it back up. Is there anything that you learned what during your tenure in esports that you can now take and apply to what you're doing now? Hell yeah! Practice, man. Yeah. Practice is the best. <laughs> I talk I talk and think about practice. And it's made it, it's solidified it so crystal clear for me that yeah. practice is usually just like the answer to most problems. Like, <laughs> like you know, like, you know, if you're working on it, if you're work, if you're with someone and they need to, to change a behavior or they need to improve like a skill that they have, you can only improve that skill by practicing. Okay. So I'm sure that's true to a degree, but I play Rocket League all the time and I feel like <laughs> I'm not getting better. <laughs> well, and it depends on what you're doing when you play, right? Okay. Are you just good point? You know, are mm-hmm. you testing theories and circling back to see if you were right? Right. You know, so I, if I'm just brute forcing, like play, just hit the ball, whatever, then I'm not going to get any better. But if I'm like, okay, I notice that when I do this, I do it wrong, and I need to practice on that one thing, and then that, that I'll get better at that. Yeah. Or you could be like, hey, there's this one part of this game that I suck at, mm-hmm. and I'm going to try to contrive 20 scenarios for that situation. And we'll see how many out of 20 I get right. 
or I performed the way that I hoped to. Yeah, that's interesting. And then you could look at the end of the day and be like, I was four for 20. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was 19 for 20. I was 10 for 20. You know what I mean? So some of that is having a more structured approach or even you could even make a, if you want to like have like a gaming session, you want it to be valuable for you. You could even go into it being like, what if I try and I just base my whole, the way that I play this game off of this one central theory, mm-hmm. even if it's bad mm-hmm. and I just stick to it and, and I commit to it and you'll see by the end, okay, this is bad. Like I thought it would be. But I've learned these six tangible things because I've committed to this and I've gotten my ass kicked all day. Yeah. That you can then, the next day that you play, be like, okay, well, I'm not doing that major theory, but maybe I'll do something that I think is more successful, but I'll still take these takeaways from yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the problem with playing competitive all the time. Is you, you feel... You gotta be willing to lose. Yeah. yeah. You gotta be really willing to lose. And not have your ego so wrapped up and fragile in it. Yeah, or like my teammates yelling at me. Yeah, right. And a lot of it on the internet is silencing motherfuckers. Yeah. That are going to put you in a bad mood or just be, you know, bad teammates to you or Mm -hmm. whatever. Just hit them with the ignore button. Straight up. I'm going to mute Chase next time. (laughs) (laughs) Logan. (laughs) Shout out to you. Yeah. That being mean to me. (laughs) It's true. We were talking about like streaming, right? Yeah physical sports players can't stream themselves playing their sport but when you're playing sports right. on the internet you right. can um so it's not like steph curry is just going to stream himself if he <laughs> i feel like he would make bank yeah if he could steph if he could just like that would almost turn it into like steph curry's ball handling camp but it's just on his twitch channel right oh, where he's like showing all the like crazy yeah. ball handling stuff like things that he does you know that people will find entertaining. Yeah. You know what, what? What he could make big on though is Steph Curry playing Steph Curry on on 2K and streaming that. <laughs> oh, that's oh, really right. funny. People would love to watch that. And that's I actually genius. bet players. I, I bet that's a thing. Yes. Probably. I don't know, but I I bet that that's a thing. Yeah. Because I know sports that. players Somebody's talk about do. those. Yeah. You know, they get upset when their rating is lower than they think <laughs> it should be. <laughs> yeah. Or they have certain players that they yeah. like to play as, you know? Yep. Yeah. Like I like I remember there was a um when I was playing Madden growing up, there was this player named Michael Vick who got in. Yes, who, Michael Vick. Um QB. Yeah. Eagles. Falcons. Falcons, right. Got in trouble His... for some cockfighting or uh-huh. dogfighting, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um the way that his game was was super fun to play with in video games. And there, that exists across sports. Mm-hmm. There are certain types of players or teams that everyone it's wants to play mode. as. Yeah. And yeah. even the pro players in the NBA or in the NFL, they know that. Yes. And they play as Michael Vick or <laughs> something. Yeah. They're like, wait, his game was like just overpowered yeah. in video games terms. So why wouldn't uh, I play that? <laughs> that's so true. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. Imagine being yeah. Imagine being Steph Curry and then op- and turning on that video game and playing as yourself. That's got to be so surreal for him, yeah. for anybody in that position. So like, I don't move my arm like that. Yeah, yeah, I got it this. all wrong. <laughs> got my <laughs> nose all wrong. I'm sure that they. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna send a. Hey, can can you contact my my manager and let the uh, 2K know that they got my face all wrong? Yeah, or like, <laughs> yo, I never missed from that spot. Yeah. This, yeah, this yeah, video yeah. game's wrong. Yeah, I just yeah. missed. When I'm in this corner, I don't miss. <laughs> they don't know my, my I'm 97 percent from the corner. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm 99 percent from this corner since I was seven years old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. So interesting. So, <clears throat> so what do you? So you're doing the you're doing you're back working with um, di- kids with disabilities. 
is this what, what what's your long term? What do you what do you feel is like your ten year plan? Uh, it, that sounds so like cliche to ask, but like I'm always interested to see what's next for for you. Yeah, in, we in we the need field. a behavioral person for the podcast. So, <laughs> so we're interviewing. Yeah. <laughs> well, and a big part of what I do is creating theories for behavior and being totally wrong. So that's a big part of it there too. Yeah, there you got to be willing to be wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Being willing to lose, being yeah. willing to get your butt kicked, all these things. So it's also theorizing what you think a behavior would be a function of a behavior, mm-hmm. and being like, "Whoa, I was way wrong about that." Like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> nope. But it's also also it's also knowing to check back in with yourself, right? So after that day of playing your games, checking back in, what have I learned? What have I taken away? Or checking back in, was my theory was my theory of the function of this behavior right? It's so easy to not do those check those check ins, and for you to take no lessons away from what you've been doing. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's yeah. Anyway, um, so, I mean, when you think when you say ten year plan, my first thought is uh, what Ariel and I are going to be doing. Yeah. Um, we want to have a kid soon. Right. And so, part of why I like my job is it's prepping me for parenting in I a lot of ways. That. Yeah. You know. Patience. It, it's at least desensitizing me for a lot of the really gross stuff that I hear about. Uh, that's yeah. gonna just hit us like a train. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know. So that's kind of. That's, Are you also gonna wear a face shield when you uh, when you have a kid too? I gotta just take it on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily now I don't need gloves for a lot of that gross stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but do you do you see yourself doing um, what you're doing now, like till you retire, or you want to be a manager in that type of industry or run your own a clinic or, or is there any like big goals that you have in mind for yourself? For the your only career? thing I would say that it's really missing. And we, you and I talked a little bit about this yesterday, Chase mm-hmm. is I don't have a competitive outlet right now mm. and I'm a happier, nicer, better person when I have that outlet yes. to compete. So that's something that I don't currently get with my work. It's, you know, you can sometimes be like, this treatment team that I'm on for this patient, we're the best treatment team that our company has to offer. But it's like, well, but that can also get in your way if you think about it in those terms, you know, too often. So that's not really a great way to compete. Um, So that's something that I do feel like is missing. But the things that I really like about my job is one, I've been in the trenches working with kids with really dangerous behaviors and things like that before. So I know how it feels. I can empathize. It's made me a better manager and a better like supervisor for younger people and younger generations. And I really like developing people. I really like talent development now. Oh, um, and because nice. I did coaching for four years, I'm good at coaching now. I'm good at giving people instant feedback. You know what I mean? That's awesome. I'm good at, I'm good at reinforcing the behaviors of staff that work with me to be like, wait, you did this incredible thing. Or I'll think internally like this person that I'm, Miles, I'm supervising Miles. He did this incredible thing and I witnessed it. If I don't praise him and let him know that I noticed it and make him feel good about what he had just done, he may not be as as likely to do it again in the future. And I want to make sure that he does. Mm. So I'm going to try to give him some type of positive consequence that feels good to him that will more likely make him do that again. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's kind of what talent development is. It's just influencing. It's like how you train a dog or something, right? Well, kind of. Right? Yeah, Dude, I mean, he when he got his dog, I remember. Well, you had her when I met you, but he was applying. I remember you being like, "Yeah, I'm working with her on this, and I'm doing like some similar things that I do in my work yeah. with Gertie." It's all behavior science. Yeah, and to making her, 
you know, uh, parenting, dog training. Yeah, yeah parent, because yeah. if you want to, I mean, teaching them to do a trick, for instance, you would teach them by giving them some kind of positive reinforcement after, like a treat or yeah. whatever, however. You'd shape the approximations to whatever the trick is to where the dog is like, oh, if I do this, now I get this tangible mm-hmm. thing that I want. But then I do this and they don't need to know why. Yeah. <laughs> right? right. But, but then eventually. That makes them feel good. Yeah. Like they'll get what they want. Or whatever. they want this delicious thing. Right. And they're kind of de- deprived of that thing. So mm-hmm. it's not like they're overly satiated. Oh, that's why it. you keep giving me treats when we hang out. <laughs> Every time I do something. Yeah. It's that conditioning <laughs> of Matt watch, equals right? treats. <laughs> hang out with Matt more. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we did things like that with my dog growing up to where we would get in trouble if someone found that we had her. So we wouldn't let her bark or vocalize mm-hmm. when we were younger, mm-hmm. you know, or when she was young. And so now she's just kind of a quieter dog. Yeah. You know, I've noticed that. Yeah. That's like one example. So how do you feel about, uh, hit, hit like hitting children or animals? Like corporal punishment and things like that. The interesting sure. thing is when it's your child, you ha- can have more of an opinion on that. When you work in healthcare like me, you can't have any opinion. Yeah. You can't right? hit somebody. It's just a no, no. Yeah. And you couldn't do that in coaching either. If I had a player that like missed their assignment, I couldn't like flap them. Backhand them. You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> do better. You wish you could because there's, there's the immediacy, right? But but a good example is if Gertie does something, Gertie is my boxer, six-year-old boxer, just an absolute goon. Um, say she, she, she would never, she's never bitten Ariel ever. But say she bites Ariel. I'm not going to allow that ever. Yeah. I'm going to provide some type of really fast, immediate, negative, aversive consequence immediately following that behavior. Yeah. To almost let her know bad stuff happens to you if you do that thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, to where maybe one smack, like one, you know, you'd have to actually, I'd, you'd have to like operationalize what the corporal punishment would be. Mm-hmm. How many thwacks? You know what I mean? Like yeah. I had my own spoon growing up. Yeah. yeah. I had my Same. own spoon with my own name on it. And yep. soap. And wait, you had your name on it? Yeah. Oh, really? God damn. You know, and I knew some people that were like, <laughs> if they branded. would, you know, like if they would get like bok bok growing up, if they get like a spanking yeah. or whatever, their Let me spoon. see your ass cheek. Let's just say <laughs> Their spoon would have like added rhinestones the more spankings they got. Oh, or things like that, shit. right? So when they when you got when you got your spoon <laughs> whacked on you, did it make a little imprint of uh, of Matthew? <laughs> no, but that like, would be they, pretty good. They like it took out the engraver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that stuff is totally off the table at work, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but what work has helped show me is basically there's the reason that stuff works. As long as you are always under emotional control, that's the biggest part. Right. Yeah. You better be under emotional control. What's interesting is I even did research when I was learning about behavior psych with my main professor at school, who is like a Mormon professor. And he actually, it surprised me when I learned that he used corporate punishment at mm. home. Mm. But he did it in such a non-emotional way that it was almost like it was contingencies. Well, if you do this really crazy whack behavior... You're going to have to do this or this is going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The thing with like the thing between like kids and dogs is like, like if you, you could be like, if you, if for with a kid, you could be like, if you did this, now you have to go do a chore or yeah. do this thing. Mm-hmm. You could, you can't do that with the dog. Right. Yeah. Cause they don't understand it. Yeah, but they, does they, a kid understand it? You could be like, oh, you don't get to go out to the dog park or 
and also like that doesn't even work because like, no unless you do part. it directly after the dog doesn't understand why he's getting punished or they don't make the connection between the action and the consequence you right? need the immediacy the immediacy is important the immediate even within if you say that my shirt looks great and like you say something really nice like that and if i just i love when you tell me comments like that yeah, by the way your shirt is fantastic boom right? insta chocolate yeah like if i give you that chocolate within one second of you doing that behavior compared to five minutes later yeah. hugely different um power in how it impacts your behavior in the future it's now you're a really smart adult right you can have really mm. long you can have elongated reinforcement schedules yeah like you go to work and then you get your paycheck but when you're a, huh. an animal or a human with a developmental disability where your understanding is just way lower mm -hmm. the immediacy matters way more so that's why, like, for example, if Gertie gets in the trash when we're at work, but we missed it, we don't know if she did it at 8 a.m. Mm. when we come home at 7 p.m. or if she did it 10 minutes before, we can't punish her because we don't know if she's forgotten hours ago. Yeah. She may just be like, dad's home and he's a dick. And so now yeah. he's like parading me around, you know, holding my collar and yeah. yelling at yeah. me. And some dogs know, though. Right. And some oh, will some know. Do. And some yeah. will know. Yeah. That when there's all this trash and all this shit in the middle of the room, oh. if I cower, maybe they'll even take it easy on me. Yeah. You ever see those like those videos online of like, okay, who there's like three dogs and sitting next to each <laughs> yeah. other, and, like They're who so did cute. it? Who did it? And one of them's like, you know, like still happy. The other one's like still happy. The other one's like, uh, <laughs> just, what? Yeah. What is going on? I'm not available. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not even gonna look at you. I can't yeah. even make eye contact. They look, look make eye contact for like a brief moment, and then look back down. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, nope. Yeah, <laughs> please. So, so the immediacy of providing a consequence to be a behavior is like the biggest part. Yeah, and if you miss when you're if your dog's not supposed to get in the trash, like the rare moments when your dog gets in the trash and you catch them. Oh, so great when you do. You, right? you can. You you shouldn't lean into it too much and take too much pride in no it or emotion. join it. You really no. shouldn't take any pride or joy in it. You shouldn't, but, but, but it's great can. because you're like, fucking finally, out of all the time, uh, like 10 times this has happened and I've never been around to witness it. Now I'm like, fucking finally. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's when I really, I want to get serious about this too, because I think some people, this is even just a taboo topic. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. To just talk it's very about controversial. It. Yeah. And in those moments, that's when it's hardest to keep your emotions in check. You finally caught a behavior that you can provide punishment to immediately following and whatever the animal or the human is they're likely going to tie that behavior with this consequence as a contingency mm. not doing two hits when you told yourself you'd do one not doing not putting extra weight into a hit you know what i mean mm -hmm. having doing it to, you're not doing it to like for you hurt the animal yeah. you're not doing it for you, you need at all. to remove the emotional right. component to it it's like when it's not how dare they do this to me it's <laughs> yeah let's make sure that they don't do this make the same choice yeah i'm i'm, I'm helping you not make a better decision to make a better so yeah so a good example for real life practice is like when you get an email from somebody you don't like for instance or somebody who is like being a dick to you and you want to like on purpose and you know that and you want to immediately be like like per on conversation and and i always like tell people like you should take like two steps back like take five minutes like leave that in your inbox take five minutes do something else and then come back to it and you will immediately feel 
less crazy emotional mm-hmm. about and you won't the you take the emotion out of the response and you can effectively communicate like communication starts to break down when our human humanistic tendencies get in the way yeah right totally like in i find that be in totally. anything not just your workplace but in marriage is a, is a good example too like i yeah. i've been married i've been in a relationship for 10 years and i find that the one of the biggest roadblocks in communicating with my wife my partner is is when emotions involved yeah and and you know we recognize in each other like i just need to cool down or like hey like i i know you want to talk about this right now but like maybe we should like watch tv and then make time to talk about it because then it allows us to cool maybe we're thinking about it more then we 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 can develop more reasonable actions and reasonable communications to solve the issue at hand um yeah i've always had that same theory as well yeah that's how i've always uh for work for my relationship and not just with my wife but with anyone like family members or anything anytime i'm upset about something of course it's not like 100 percent of the time so you know it happens but uh yeah i just like yeah exactly what you just just said is just cool down and you, you sometimes i don't even think about that at all anymore Really, and I come back to it. Yeah, you can just conditioned yourself to to react in that way. Yeah, and like I don't often, at least I don't think I do, get super angry about things uh, because I think I've done that so much. Where I'll, I'll just stop and like cool off, think about something else, cut, try to rationalize it, rationalize my thinking, and then yeah, it, it uh, it's ninety nine percent of the time it's a better experience afterward. I do have to say, Miles is one of the most level-headed per- people I know. Oh, I, I don't. I don't think I've ever seen Miles get angry, like was he viscerally, like- <laughs> physically looking angry. Not, was he always, always like that? He does it in. He does it in the closet. He's a closeted, angry person, probably. <laughs> no, I don't think I've always guess. been that way. I probably started being that way, like after college, maybe. Hmm. Maybe when I started working. It's a good time to yeah. add that skill. That's a critical thinking skill, right? Being like, am I tripping about this short term? Mm. Yeah. Do I have an energy that's going to fall away from this and make me more rational, rational yeah. after? Because that's what you, what I've always thought of is like, I, I'll see people to bring up relationships again, who will yell at each other and say horrible things. Yeah. And I'm like, how can you be with that person or live with that person after saying those kind of things to them or yeah. like having that, that kind of fight with someone it, would permanently d- hurt my relationship with yeah. them. Yeah, the it fact seeps of the matter into is, the surface. Yeah, some of that stuff. You can't unsay words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I thought about if I don't do that, then I'll have a better life because I'll like my relationship with people more, and I won't have bad memories that you regret. Yeah, or that they hold against you when mm-hmm. you should have just kept your trap shut for ten minutes. Anytime you always do regret it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, like a lot of, it sounds selfish, but a lot of the reasons why some people do things is not to, not because they understand the way that it will affect somebody else, but the way like they will have to think about it for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. Like if I do this, I'm going to have to, I'm going to live, have to live with the feeling of regret we were talking for about training the rest earlier. of my life. We were talking about training and prep and preparing earlier with sports. Yeah. Right. That's, that's how I think about everything too. Like when I'm on a hike. We're doing an activity where I think like, if I do this thing, I'll 
break my leg or there's some potential where I could break my leg Mm -hmm. or when I talk to people uh, I I think sometimes I have a hard time speaking about things because my brain's always thinking like if I say it this way then uh, what are the consequences of every way you can do something and uh, yeah, but going back to, to Matt does that a lot too. Yeah. He thinks about it in the way of like the multiverse. He's like, he always talks about like, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the, in the, um, universe where I did this Errol and I would be doing this, go to a different timeline. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. like my yeah. in timeline one, two B dash a, cause you know that your life could have been so your life could have been very different mm-hmm. very easily from what all of our three lives are. Yeah. You know what I mean? The slightest, mm-hmm. the slightest change of like one choice that we made could have set us down a different path. So it's, I think it's easy to imagine mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Although some, you can get too hung up on that. Yeah. And you that creates think... an indecisive person and nobody likes yep. that. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, sure. it's hard to balance that. You got to balance kind of going with the flow as well as, uh, kind of being careful. Yeah. yeah. Thinking about how something, which is one thing when we're talking about corporal punishment, some people say that the death penalty is not effective because mm. uh, people who would get the death penalty usually aren't like more rational people or they don't think about the result of something. Um, like I'm, I may think uh, of even if I wanted to kill somebody or whatever, or if I'm in the heat of the moment, like I, I may think if I kill this person right now, I could get the death penalty to, or go to prison for the rest of my life where someone who's not as rational may just not really think about the consequences. impulsive right through that. Yeah. And that happens. Hmm. Unfortunately. And so what we're talking about, like an animal needing that immediate uh, response to mm-hmm. something, I think those type of people are, are the example of that. Like they need the immediate response of, I just did something bad not to do it again. Not like I did something bad now I get caught. Now I go to prison. Fifty years later, they execute me. Yeah, yeah and, and in a lot of instances, it's not necessarily about like a consequence of something. It's it's to protect the public. Like if you remove this person, who is likely to do for, it, for it prison, again, yeah. Yeah. remove it from society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it's more of a, like protection for society. And the less of the, is a big part. Yeah, of it. yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to get a shout out. To somebody, can I give a shout out to somebody? Yeah, yeah. Anket. Starbucks. Can yeah. Shout out to Anket. We talk, Anket. Yeah. If you're listening, we've been talking about you often. We miss you. Hope you. We, we should. We should. Miles, you don't know who Anket is. No. Bless. You're 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 not living if you've never met Anket. Damn it. I had to say, Anket, can you please come out here so you can get on the on this podcast? We're gonna get you on. He'd love that. That's all I have to say. He's yeah. the best of us. Yes, is what I would say. He's is an he alien. Real? He is, he he's <laughs> like not, he is not human. About no, we're actually telling the truth. Yeah, yeah. He's an alien. That's all I have to say. He's one of those guys that's oftentimes impossibly good, and you hope that he does that the world doesn't change him and make him different. Yeah, over okay. time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You could preserve a version of Ankit and yeah. formaldehyde. And, <laughs> and that's not to say that he's Creepy. like this cute thing that we want to control, but yeah. it's like. I do think that he's a, a much better person than a lot of humans I've come across. Yeah. And that's not a thing of like being raised right, but I think it's kind of just the way you are mm-hmm. and the mor- morals and the ethics that each of us have. 
That's true. Hmm. You know. Well, we're almost at two hours. Five minutes away from being at two hours. Oh my right god, now we gotta kill five minutes. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> no, um, thanks for being on, man. Really appreciate thanks. it. Thanks. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, I was I was relieved to hear that you were excited about being on because I I wasn't sure if you were like, nah, I don't really want to, you know. But like, yeah, we've been talking about it for months. Yeah, I was like, my, shit, my, my buddy's Matt's gonna yeah. come out. I'm excited. We're gonna get him on. Yeah, we're we were talk. like, oh, we can talk about like the esports thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating. I know some weird stuff, and I feel like I'm kind of a unique, weird person for being a white male in America, which we've already talked about. <laughs> now we have to, we kind of have to re, as like white men, we have to readdress our privilege <laughs> every so often just yeah. to kind of stay safe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but I think in like some of the things that we've been talking about today, it shows that I'm kind of different yeah and like how i villainized my people who could have been my work peers for example (laughs) you know what i mean or like how i look at certain things of behavior or like Mm -hmm. what's important in my life so i've experienced some some interesting and weird work situations yeah what is the do you have a story you have like an instance where the weirdest work story from esports can you give due diligence to that question weirdest most notable maybe yeah, for, like for our can, listeners like if i can think back on one thing that just being from the inside um yeah i mean i guess i, I think of travel experiences so like I, I work with my teams my teams do well my players kick ass we do well enough that we get invited to international um competitions and tournaments and um games and things like that so i was able to go to like berlin i was able to go to like korea wow. and in Korea, I'm way taller than most people. I look <laughs> different from most people. Mm. But Korea's culture was really interesting too, learning about that. You know oh. what I mean? Like one thing that was weird that stood stood off right off the bat for me was like I was like if there's a bus that goes by, the advertisements on that bus might be like face cleaning products, for example. Okay. And the advertisements for those things in Korean culture will be like really damning toward people who have like gross skin and need face cleaning products. Uh, They'll be like, if you have acne, you're disgusting. Yeah. And you need gross. And we're going to create on your face on this advertisement. We're going to create disgusting little like faced pimples. Yes. To show how gross you are and how much you need our product. Mm -hmm. Um, So you ever see that with like with weight loss? Type of stuff. There over was there? there's stuff like that. Are you as well. fatty, lose some weight. What piece of shit? <laughs> but you would never see that in America nowadays, right? Yeah, it's very PC, right? Or like I I know of some Korean players that couldn't get jobs because they have like acne scars, which Whoa. is a really interesting cultural thing. Wow. There, so even just having like scarring from that, and there's there's traditional like cultural roots to that of like class systems and things Beauty. like that. Yeah, yeah plays a um, role on it. Yeah. But yeah, basically while I was in Korea, I just, I knew how to, I forget one of these now, but I basically just said, I'm sorry and thank you all the time in Korean to anyone who was willing to help me. I tried to just smile to look friendly so people would be more willing to help me. Yeah. yeah. That's um, what I do when I travel too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just look as harmless as mm-hmm. possible and people will be nice to you. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It works. Yeah. Um, I think. <laughs> you think you're like maybe or they're just laughing like look at this poor son of a bitch yeah, this, this polar bear yeah, walking you, through seoul yeah. korea yeah you know? <laughs> yeah he's so disgusting um but korea is 
uh, you know, it was interesting how many like looks I got there yeah. or what people would assume about me, but it's one of my favorite places to go. And I really hope I can go again before I die. Yeah. For those of you listening, uh, Matt is a, like, he looks like he could have played baseball or not baseball, basketball. You're a tall, yeah, I was a big dude. Player. Yeah. So I'm like six, three, two, yeah. 30 or something. Yep. Yep. You know, not single. So ladies calm down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's um, over. That's that's interesting. What 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 else about Korea did you find uh, really different from America? They had an interesting sewer system. Like what? Yeah, like they you you'd have to do like this is graphic, but like if you go to a public restroom, you have to like wipe and then throw it in the trash. Yeah, rather than flushing. Yeah, it's in a lot of Asian countries. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that's yeah. why bidets things like bidets are like more mm-hmm. prevalent things like that that was another yeah. interesting like in one. thailand you would go to the bathroom and usually they don't have toilet paper it's just a hose like there not even go. a bidet but like a hose yes. connected to the i don't wall. know about that oh yeah. man i bet you're right <laughs> in in Oof. some parts of korea i bet they have that where yeah. it's not as maybe I'd be walking out of there waddling like how do i get the wet to go to way <laughs> yeah like I've got a wet problem. I wondered that too. Yeah. It's just swapped Which it is out why for a different thing that I'm not down with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like you, uh, you don't like you don't take a shit in a, in one of those places. You have yeah, to find a nicer place that offers the luxury of toilet paper. Yeah, you know what was wow. another interesting thing about Korea was like if you were if you're an attractive person physically, pe- older generations will come over to you and they'll compliment you and tell you that they'll be like really? you're so handsome and then you'll have to i don't know what the desired response Thank is you. Yeah, like, it's like thanks you too like oh wait, wait yeah, that's you're beautiful as well like, on the thanks inside. my parents did a good job or like yeah i don't know yeah. my, my wife likes for me to keep a beard i don't <laughs> neutrogena go get yourself yeah. some yeah so just i guess some cultural things with beauty was interesting in korea wow. So they, 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 they have a high appreciation for aesthetic. It seems like it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe that, I wonder if that will change in the same way that it's kind of changed in America, like body image. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I certainly feel for the, I had acne growing up and my family did as well. Like my siblings all did. Mm -hmm. So I could feel for the kids growing up in Korea with shit like that where it's like dude i'm washing my face as much as i can i'm not yeah. like an unclean person yeah, bro i right. try and i'm yeah. just trying to get a job <laughs> yeah yeah I, I feel for those people yeah that kind of sucks yeah um that's that's where like love or hate the acceptance like uh or like i don't know the attitude change in in, in america it, it has opened up or made few people feel more comfortable in their own skin um, and I could see living over there and dealing with that issues, uh, and where they kind of haven't caught up to where the, the way America feels or deals with those issues, especially in that part of the world where yeah. tradition is so much more important, important for them yeah. than in other and parts it should of the world. Be. I think preserving the cultural There's way more history yeah, compared it, to the West. It, there's some, there's an importance I think we need to preserve in that. And, you know, a lot of people are afraid of that with globalization and stuff and, I, you know, I'm I'm sure somebody over in Korea is worried about American culturals invading their way of of doing things, or it's everywhere. Yeah. German ways of doing things, and you know, mm-hmm. or where, wherever. Um, you know, that's what what, and then that's what makes America so interesting is the meshing and melting pot of all these different cultures. Like 
I don't think anywhere else in the world you can get that. Right? You yeah, can't, like, yeah. you go over to Germany. I'm sure there's well, parts of Germany's where yeah. they're I mean, it's like, changing. But but, yeah. but to Matt's point, it's like, in the U.S., we have hundreds of years of, of uh, I mean, people from all around the world came here. So we have hundreds of years of the different cultures meshing. And then if you go to, like, Germany, in Germany, you have tons of different people now. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of Middle Eastern people have moved there mm-hmm. uh, and just people from other parts of Europe. Uh, but you have thousands of years of uh the germanic uh way way of doing cultural yeah yeah and so there you probably have a lot more people like here in america you have people like this is america you know like this is how things are like nothing should ever change which is ironic because it is a result of all these different (laughs) cultures coming together Mm -hmm. right yeah continuously evolving getting hopefully better uh but then you have the other country other countries where you have people who are like, this is our, has been our history for a really long time. But, uh, I think from what some of my coworkers, like I have a coworker in Italy and the way he explained it to me, he said, he said that a lot of the older Italians, uh, are more, more like, kind of like how people are here where, you know, it's just, they don't really want to see things change because they've been living for 60 years. They're proud people. yeah, Yeah. It's like, this is how I liked it. I don't want other cultures coming in. Uh, but he said like more of the younger people who haven't been alive as long are wanting to see more different culture. So, you know, give it more time and globalization will continue to, to go and go. But we have a lot of countries like Korea or India has like a huge caste system yeah. mm-hmm. and I call it racism, but they call I don't, that's what homie could talk about. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, very true. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, I think some countries will take a really long time yeah. before we see stuff like that. But then like the, a lot of the Western world, I think is really kind of more like accepting of it. Ex- yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Ben- it benefits my life now mm-hmm. on Thanksgiving or now if Errol and I have like a, like a holiday we want to celebrate, and we're wondering what kind of food we get. We'll go get Korean barbecue. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And That's like so we, good. we wouldn't have come across that if we lived in a different country, mm-hmm. you know, or found like we do yes. that like almost every Tuesday. It's amazing what we have yeah. here. Day off, yeah, you know? Korean barbecue day. You That's know. what's cool about uh, moving around a lot in the U.S. and in, or living in cities. Like if you live in New York, you can get so many different types of food. Oh, so many. Yeah. That like if you just say Chinese food, like different types of Chinese food too. Right? Yeah, they're like, well, what 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 kind of Chinese food do you <laughs> yeah. want? Like, um, oh, there's different types. Yes, <laughs> and Express is not the only type of Chinese food. <laughs> And that's not even Chinese food. You stupid, stupid American. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, well, crazy yeah. stuff. Oof. We have a good here. We do. Too good. <laughs> Again, thanks for being on. Hell yeah. Yeah, thanks. Thanks I for really having appreciate me. appreciate it. Um, you were great. I, I will have you back on, of course, anytime you come to visit. We'll mm. keep chatting about uh, your career and how that's going and stuff and uh, checking to see how Gertie is. Oh, yeah. Cheers to the lucky duck. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening in. Thanks for watching. Until next time, every two weeks, catch up. Oh, if you guys like the show, hit subscribe. (laughs) Yeah. Pound that like button. (laughs) Do all the things you need to do to give us uh, a little bit of praise. Uh, That helps us reach more people. Um, Review us on iTunes. Give us a a thumbs up on Facebook or whatever you, wherever you're listening, then we really appreciate it. We Mm -hmm. appreciate you guys. Um, Yeah. And 
catch up with us every two weeks. That's what we're doing here on the show. So until then, adios. Adios.